Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and our week in IndyCar series brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets, US of A. Did something last week, the rarity upon rarities, and that was breaking out your Q&A into a separate episode. We had a hundred and I forget the number. It was a lot. Well, we're kind of almost there this week. I believe at last glance, this is 9.56 p.m. on Monday night, the 26th of August. I believe we were at about 96 questions. Could be a little bit more. Lots that you've sent in have been for Connor Daly. Couple for our guest, young Dakota Dickerson. And the rest are for me. Your rants, your thoughts, your questions. Rants, by the way, not a bad thing. I love them. I do them. They're they're a staple of my mind. And also, since I guess most of you don't get a chance to be around me when I'm at the track doing what I'm doing, I don't mean just like for a minute or two, but I mean, you know, throughout the day. Between myself and my man, my brother, Robin Miller, it's pretty much a day-long rant about something. And they're not bad. It could be ranting about something we love, ranting about whatever, uh, an observation. It's just, yeah, highly charged conversation in some way, shape, or form. There's there's some arguments in there and some things we're not happy about. But anyways, we have some great questions from you, as usual. We also have a couple of thoughts and opinions you have shared, little uh Suggestion for the naming of the official Week in IndyCar Soapbox, where we do our rants. We actually have one for my Week in Sports Car show, so we have one that's come in. Finally, very proud to announce that once we get to it. Coming out of Gateway, heading into Portland, most of what you all have sent in is related to Gateway and or other goodies. few things here to mention up front. And we'll see where some of this shakes out. At that point of the year where it wouldn't be odd to expect the 2020 calendar to be unveiled sometime between now, Portland, Monterey, somewhere in there would not be a surprise. Heard a couple rumors and we'll one of the questions that came in, I'll, I'll address that specifically regarding calendar person who asked about Pocono. We have been hearing myself and Robin for a lot of the year that Pocono was boy. If you love it, make sure you go to it this year because we're hearing it might not be a part of IndyCar's 2020 plans. I can't tell you if that is what we will learn when the calendar comes out. I can just tell you that from what I've heard, there's nothing to make me think differently from what we have been hearing for the majority of the year. I've heard nothing to say, oh, stop the presses. Everything has changed. IndyCar is going back. If we find out that indeed IndyCar is not returning to Pocono, I don't think it will be specifically because of what just happened little over a week ago with the first lap crash and the concerns and the very bad cosmetics, uh, the very bad visuals of the fence being repaired with uh, whatever Home Depot materials 
I just think that if there was any chance of it continuing, I think with things already trending in a fairly downward way from, again, what we've heard for most of the year, I don't think that there was much that happened at Pocono during the most recent event for folks at IndyCar to say, oh, we got to come back. We've got to stay here. Uh, they are... That series is very social media and just opinion aware, if that's the correct way of phrasing it. When you write it on the good old tweeters and book faces and whatever else, or at the bottom of everyone's favorite trove of positivity, the comments at the bottom of racer articles, you might be surprised to learn that IndyCar pays attention not saying they agree, not saying that they take whatever you say in those comments on social media or wherever as gospel and then react, but they are pretty good at having a notion. Huh, that might not have looked very good. Let's go take a look at the landscape of what our fans are saying. By and large, I think they might have come away with an impression after the most recent race that, yeah, Maybe we just need to take a break. So we'll see. I know for the many, many fans of IndyCar in the Northeast, there is a strong desire to keep Pocono there for that very reason. We really, as a series, don't do much in that general region. Uh, it's another thing I hope that gets fixed. What have we heard that could be the swap for Pocono? Well, we've been hearing for a while now. It could be Richmond. So uh, I know that's still east. I don't know if it's crazy north, <laughs> but uh, having been there, having enjoyed being there um, in the past, my last time was 2001 when, again, some of y'all are probably like, Pruitt, you're, you're not going to say this again. We're tired of it. Uh, my last year working in IndyCar on the team side was as an assistant engineer. Uh, that was Sam Schmidt Motorsports' very first year. And with Jacques Lazier, who replaced the badly injured Davey Hamilton in the number 99, Delara Oldsmobile, uh, we actually sat on pole. So, funnily enough, unrelated to everything, uh, some of you might know that my wife and I are moving here soon and doing all the packing myself and having to go through all my garbage and nonsense in the office found something I'd completely forgotten that I was given, and that was the visor Jacques Lazier wore while setting pole position at Richmond back in 2001. So don't tell them, because uh, I'm not saying it's a surprise and they'll care, but I just realized that it was really cool of Jacques to give that to me. I probably asked for it. I doubt he just, out of nowhere, removed his visor and said, Marshall, I'm going to sign this and give this to you. So I probably asked for it. I don't remember, but I probably did. Um, the fact that it's been sitting stowed away in the, in the deep recesses of a closet in my office for more than 10 years now tells me that I need to give it to the team. Because while they certainly should have all kinds of trophies and great things from wins, polls at the Indy 500, uh, that was the first true major milestone for the team Jacques pole at richmond so i'm going to give that to them here uh this friday at portland where i will be going to my very first indycar race since 
had to blast out of Indy on May 21st. So don't tell them. Uh, again, they may go, ah, cool, and throw it away. But I just thought it would be a nice little thing to give them because they deserve it. And they're moving on to bigger things here with Spam, the official, by the way, official team name of Aero McLaren SP, according to our great listener, Jim Johnstone, who came up with the acronym SPAM. So all that stuff being said, and this is a little window into how my mind works when it's kind of late. Um, I'm not sure if Richmond's going to be back on the schedule. I would say that if you were a betting person, based on the fact that Pocono might seem like a bit of a long shot, especially after raising more questions about everything, uh, at least visually, coming out of the most recent event. Uh, yeah, if you are a fan of Richmond, you... I'd say 50-50 odds, if not more, you'd be really wise right now to take a look on your chosen travel site and look at hotels and other stuff to book in advance. Um, other thing I have heard, it's a rumor, not a fact. Rumor, but if it's true, this one might be a little bit screwy. And it is, I've heard that we're looking at next year's return to circuit of the americas keeping in mind that we went there on the 24th of march this year we went to we opened the season two weekends earlier at st petersburg point being there was a week gap in between which for the many indycar drivers who either get to do a couple if not the full imsa WeatherTech Championship North American Endurance Challenge calendar. So IMSA has between 11 and 12 races per year, 10, 11, or 12 races. Some of their classes have more races than others. One staple is they have their four endurance races, the four long ones, the NAEC, they call it. And that is Rolex 24 Daytona in January, Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring, always in the middle of March then in June, towards the end of June, they have the Salins six hours of the Glen. And then to close the season in early-ish to mid-October, they have Petit Le Mans in Road Atlanta. And so, as you might have seen, whether it is Alexander Rossi, Simon Pagino, Ryan Hunter Ray, Sebastian Bourdais, Scott Dixon, sometimes Tony Kanaan, uh, we can work down the list uh, of a lot of other names of those. If they weren't there necessarily this year, we could probably say they have been in very recent years. Uh, Graham Rahal is one of those. Felix Rosenquist, not too long ago. Hinch as well. Spencer Piggott. Colton Herta, <laughs> defending class winner in GT Le Mans. Um, a lot of IndyCar drivers go to daytona but there's also a good number of them that sign up for the full naec or at least three of the four but preferably four of the four and so i'm mentioning all this because the thing i've heard and we will have to see whenever the calendar comes out is we might actually have a date clash between the 12 hours of sebring and cota indycar that that could be an interesting one and so for those who know the flow of the calendars, you might say, well, wait a minute. The, the 12 hours of Sebring is on a Saturday. The IndyCar race is on a Sunday. Couldn't there be, couldn't they figure out a way? I mean, 
Kind of keeping in mind, though, that practice on the IMSA side starts on Thursday. Um, continues, I believe there's a little bit on Friday. And then you have the very long race on Saturday. Starts at 10 a.m. or so, ends at 10 p.m. Um, yeah, there's a certain, would be a certain race in Texas where you need to qualify on Saturday. And not saying you couldn't hop a flight and get there, you know, super early morning Sunday on a jet uh, from coming from Sebring. But again, I don't know how many IndyCar teams are going to be giving the big thumbs up to their drivers, uh, a missing qualifying on Saturday and then showing up, you know, often ragged after putting in a many, many hours of driving at Sebring. And sometimes it rains there, which is great, but it's quite often hot and you have folks that are worked at the end of it so again we'll see if and what if this turns out to be accurate or not but i have again i've heard some rumblings that coda uh might be positioned on the same weekend as the 12 hours of sebring and where that could pose some interesting things is while indycar for all the drivers that i've mentioned is their primary form of employment for all but a very few, you know, IndyCar don't pay like it used to. Uh, there, there are there are fewer drivers who are setting themselves up for a lifetime of stability uh, when they retire than there once were. So, something like signing up to do the full NAEC. I realize sports cars isn't exactly a place where you're making a trillion. But if you think about that salary, whatever you might be earning in IndyCar, and then being able to add a nice little wedge, I don't know what it is, 10%, 20%, something, add a nice little wedge doing those four long races at IMSA, that's how many drivers have paid the bills, put their kids through school, put away some money for the future, whatever, taking care of their parents. If this date clash is real, I'll be very curious to see if that could indeed be a big limiting factor on some of these IMSA teams in the GT categories, DPI and whatnot, looking elsewhere. Because although you might say, well, it's, wouldn't it just be one race? Potentially. But consistency, chemistry, these are the things that sports car teams are looking for. And knowing that they might be able to have you at Daytona, but then they're not going to see you again until June for Watkins Glen, maybe, if not the end of the year, that could be the thing that actually loses a number of IndyCar drivers pretty good chunk of change. So anyways, a little bit of interesting stuff I've heard there. Another item to throw here coming out of Gateway that might be of interest. I know that I answered a quest this question for Robin's mailbag asking about scott dixon what the heck is going on a water leak i mean that that's what what uh that sounded amateurish and or what the heck uh, isn't that something they would check as i understand it coming back to the points topic where will power is out more or less and scott dixon is right in front of him but has the longest odds 70 points behind new garden right now is he had someone in front of him kick up a piece of, I believe it was a bottom end uh, motor in the K&N series, the support series, blew up and blew up properly. 
and somebody running somewhere ran over a piece. I don't know if it was a piece of a con rod or a crank, whatever it was, shot that thing like an arrow straight through the stainless mesh screen that is positioned in front of the radiator to try and stop such things like this, shot right through it, and then tore through the water radiator and ripped out some of the tubes. I mean, just like someone took a giant pellet and fired it straight through the radiator. And so, freak occurrence. Uh, We'll have to see if and how this affects Dixon's chances going through Portland and going into Laguna with their double points. We do know that uh, he did have the Rose City Miracle last year uh, coming out of the festival corner, uh, which honestly saved his season and definitely helped him on the way to winning his fifth title. Uh, we'll have to see if the uh, the Gateway Missile uh, ends up being the thing that either tanks his season or can he summon another miracle. But just interesting to take a look here at how Getting down to our last two races, five are mathematically eligible, four are truly only in the mix, and Dixon, of those four, has got a long haul. Uh, he needs adversity on New Garden's part to really have a chance of capturing his sixth title. Ahead of him, Rossi is 46 points back, drop from second to third in the standings. Pagano's 38 behind New Garden. Again, really interesting to see. There's, it's not a word, but there's a very surgy, surgy thing going on with Simon right now. And it's not totally linear. There are weekends of late where, man, he is making his presence felt. And there's some, Mid-Ohio comes to mind, where he was sixth. Sixth is good. Good's not going to get it done to overcome Joseph. So I know that uh, good old Mr. Newgarden had a really weird run on Saturday night to seventh. Know that he was very grumpy about Santino Ferrucci, last week's guest, which we'll get to in one of your questions. Even if Joseph is kind of dinking and dunking and farting around, I mean, not like he's intentionally farting around, but if we look at the points, if Joseph is still in that kind of general fourth, fifth, sixth zone i mean simon's gonna have to to peel off a win and then probably another win again it's not as if simon is in dire straits by any means nor is rossi but the one thing that dixon has done over and over again in his title pursuits which is make the others really have to do extraordinary things to overtake him it's interesting to see Newgarden in that position now where can't relax, can't take it easy, can't do anything harebrained. But if he is just simply good going into Portland, going into Laguna, and ends up in a decent place, boy, he's going to make it very hard on anybody to unseat him on the way to his second IndyCar crown. Let's go. Let's go. All right, those are some general thoughts. I know recently I said, hey, what do you guys think about me doing a kind of a race recap and thoughts there? I don't know. I still don't mind doing that, but I realize that you all send in so many great questions that sometimes it's easier to answer them and get a little, do a little bit of that there. So I'm going to do that here. 
kicking off on the good old tweeters with at F1Oholic, who says, how do you think the race would have finished if there wasn't the last caution? Speaking with our man Robin Miller today on this very topic and said, Gateway was the oval equivalent of Coda. Uh, Truly, you change up the timing towards the end and when we have the cautions fall and those who are on a different race and fuel strategy all of a sudden leap to the front and good on them. I mean, there is certainly whimsy and uh, a lack of linearity. Certainly, I mean, they definitely affect many motor races, and this is one of them. I mean, if we wind wind things back a little bit, this could have very easily been Ferrucci's first win. Uh, there were a couple others who were looking kind of sort of strong, couple that got hosed as a result. Regardless, I mean, hey, Takuma Sato, uh, most hated IndyCar driver of all time for whatever it was, five, six days. And then all of a sudden, here's this dream rebound for him. That's an amazing story. I'm in the amazing story business. This one's just hand-delivered. Uh, we take a look and see that Ed Carpenter, who's had a okay year, hasn't had an okay couple of years. I mean, really, if we think of Ed winning being that guy, really good at Indy, really good. He finished sixth. Okay, great. But that's, you know, to Ed, that's a failure. Uh, We think about his 13th at Texas. Iowa, obviously, definitely not a great memory for him. Sixth again at Pocono, good for him. But second, even that I know won't make him happy, but at least it will make him feel like the guy that we know he is, which is amazing on ovals. So happy for him in second. And then Tony Kanon finishes third of all those who benefited from the quote gift, the gift of timing that made an alternate strategy that would not have come good. Otherwise looking at Tony standing on the podium for the first time in a couple of years, it's a beautiful thing. And he had an opportunity to push back at all those who said he was over the hill and so on and so forth. It was just really nice to see him in a place in a position that we are well clear and understand um, that is where he belongs. That is ab- as I'm throwing a pen nearby Rosie to get her to run away because she's currently chewing on things she shouldn't be. Um, just super happy for Tony. And I mean, at 44 years old, Indy 500 winner, IndyCar Series champion, don't know how many more years he's going to have. If this ends up being his last visit to the podium, which I think many of us hope it isn't. But if it is, good for him, man. Seriously, just forget whatever context of why it happened or how. Think of all the times where he should have had a win or a podium and something broke, got hit by somebody, some a, a bad pit stop. You live long enough, maybe you start to see these things as things coming out in the wash. And if Tony finishing third on a night where maybe on raw pace it wasn't there, you know what? All the other times where he should have, but it didn't, uh, I'm really good with this. So happy to see that this is how things ended up. And, yeah, just really cool. Good to celebrate those who have either given a lot to the sport or continue to be big sources of enjoyment for people in the sport. Here's a couple of topics Sorry, a couple of items that came in 
on a central topic here. This really needs to be a, an ongoing case study by other events. Henry Chapman says, starting off, just a note to say every track that's struggling for attendance on IndyCar's calendar needs to look at what Chris Blair is doing at Gateway. Constant heavy promotion and a great relationship with a sponsor, that being the Bomberito Automotive Group, has given us big crowds on an oval, which is almost unheard of outside the Indy 500. Awesome to see. Amen, amen, and amen, Henry. And also big thumbs up to your hashtag, GetWellWickens. This is and has been the true model for everything that an IndyCar race at, let me pull up the calendar because my brain's fading a little bit. Um, I mean, Circuit of the Americas. I know we've only been there once, but that would be something for them to pay attention to. Barber draws a good crowd. And I know it feels like it gets a little bit bigger every year, but I can't recall anyone saying, and it was packed. Um, where else? Obviously, the Indy GP. I don't think that's ever going to have the, have a draw, so there's no need to dwell. Detroit, I think they actually do pretty darn good in terms of promotions, but nonetheless, another event that would only benefit from more people. Texas, obviously. Uh, it, Yeah, it. it of all the thrilling events each year that do not have the amount of people that should be watching the insanity take place, it's Texas. There's no doubt about the quality of the show that is being put on. Um, yeah, I think the the market penetration part, which Henry mentions here in relation to Gateway, and which is now worldwide technology raceway uh the just local area penetration i think that's the big thing that stands out for sure can texas say that they have the same kind of blanketing the local area or maybe crazy thought blanketing different areas that they haven't before i don't know uh, i don't know uh let's see where else iowa again certainly uh, amazing racing. We would love to see more people there, though. Uh, there's a lot of seats left wide open. Mid Ohio, I don't know if we need any more people there. Man, it sure is hard to get in and out, and that's a great problem. Uh, Pocono, we've already touched on. I, again, uh, I'm not a betting person, but I'm not booking my flights for Pocono for next year. Um, Portland, we, first year back really thought the crowd was strong for that last year it's going to be beyond interesting to see what we have this year henry because the show was really good uh sato winning again and he is the master of things getting changed up at the end and getting a win um we'll see i thought they put on a great return and i'm hoping more folks turn up to pay attention and watch the biggest question the one that scares me, the one that I've said from the outset scares me the most, and that is our upcoming return to my home track. I'm fortunate to have two, that being Sears Point slash Sonoma Raceway and what we call WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. <sighs> yeah, um, <laughs> I got fingers, toes, and anything that can cross, crossed for IndyCar season finale. At Laguna Seca, I really hope there's a crowd that turns up because if not, 
Oh, yeah. Some other stuff. I won't get into it, too. I really am not going to get into it at all here. But you know how I've written about 437 stories about there being strife and other stuff, either at the track, board, county, board of the the board of directors and the county and between the track and the this and fighting over it and people trying to take it over and other groups wanting to get in on things and, and drive out the ones who are there and hey everything's calmed down everything's working peacefully yeah here and we might might be returning to a little bit of turmoil again so that has a little bit of bearing here because with IndyCar, I believe being the highest profile series coming to the coming to Monterey, I know that they have the uh, super bikes. Maybe that ends up being their number one. But really, if we're just thinking national profile, uh, IndyCar is a pretty big thing coming back. And if that does not turn a crowd first time out, I'm going to be very worried for more than just IndyCar and its future there, but for the track as well. What I will look forward to seeing knowing that IndyCar is preceded by one week by IMSA coming to Laguna is to see what kind of local promotions are happening. And, you know, my wife and I live 90 ish minutes, two hours North here in the Bay area. And I'm not saying that I have lots of time to run around and see billboards and I'm constantly listening to local radio, not saying those things, but, I'll look forward to keeping an eye to see if and what kind of promotions start spooling up of, hey, large mass of people with, in theory, a lot of disposable income because it costs a lot to live here. So therefore, you got to make money, I guess. I don't know. Something along those lines. Come on down and watch something really cool you might have seen as a kid or whatever. Come on down. Come see it. Uh, Yeah. So all this comes back to the central point here from henry though which is i truly hope that laguna that iowa that texas uh detroit a little bit uh even barber uh, certainly circuit of the americas i hope there's humility and an interest to speak to chris and his team and find out hey how are you making things so so good in gateway And then we're going to follow this up with just some on-the-ground observations from the fan side. This coming in from Windy Car. And thank you. Each week, you tend to send in some pretty cool stuff. It says, MP is at Gateway. Lots to talk about how electric the event is. The crowd being from the Midwest. My take on part of why the real reason Gateway has worked so well since it returned in 2017 is because it is promoted as a sporting event. Not just a motorsports thing, and I feel it is obvious there. Virtually everyone seated around me were casual fans. Dad with a high school son and his buddies. Guy who was at a Cardinals game Thursday. Figured he'd check it out, see what the fuss was Saturday night. Brought his buddy. First racing event of their lives. Many of the Midwestern cities are, quote, great sports towns. As the saying goes, Chicago, St. Louis, Cincinnati, KC, Milwaukee, Cleveland, Detroit, so on. Gateway is promoting the race extremely well to the casual St. Louis media market sports fan, not just car racing. That's why it works, in my opinion. And you saw that with the Major League Baseball Cardinals baseball game Fan Fest Thursday and the NHL St. Louis Blues Stanley Cup stuff at the track. 
It's about sports. Hey, you, you like sports? Cool. Hey, you, check out these indie cars. You might like them. Curious on my thoughts. Am I nuts? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. And this really comes back to Henry's note. And that's why I wanted to visit on this a little bit to start the Q&A section here, the upfront portion of this. So I'll just use, again, local stuff because it's what I know best. So we are very fortunate in the Bay Area to have an overabundance of sports teams. Realize we're losing one and might lose another here soon. But so knowing that Monterey is certainly well known here in the Bay Area, known as a beautiful place, destination to go resorts, golf, surf, whatever. You think about all the sports teams we have up here. We have San Francisco 49ers, Oakland Raiders, soon to be Las Vegas, but we have Raiders, we have Niners, we have the San Jose Sharks, we have the Golden State Warriors, we have the San Francisco Giants, and we have the Oakland A's. I mean, we know that recently at Sonoma, we had, what, Steph Curry there, who was, I don't know if he was the Grand Marshal, I forget his exact title, but that was a cool little link. What I don't know, though, is if our friends at Laguna Seca have reached out to all of you know said organizations. Um, what, the NFL season kicks off here shortly? I mean, I don't know if it's a promotion of, hey, bring your Raiders or 49ers ticket stub and get X percent off to the IndyCar event. I don't know if it's a Lombardi trophy. I don't know if it's a Larry, I don't know, is it Larry Young? I forget his name. Uh, from the NBA, bring something down to drive up some local interest that's based in the bigger sports that might get folks to come down and check it out. We know the Warriors are still little ways away from kicking off their season. If we want to talk about bringing down some folks, trying to attract something, trying to do some sort of cross promotion. I mean, there's no real threat here to any local sports team that might want to have some sort of affiliation with a motor racing event taking place. Well, well far away. If anything, it might help get some folks to drive up from the, uh, the general Monterey area uh, to come and partake in a local sporting event here in the Bay Area. So I'm I'm with you, Monsieur or Mrs. Windy Carr. You've still yet to identify a gender, which is fine. Um, I think you're onto something here where the, hey, if you're just chasing gearheads, I don't know. I don't know how many gearheads are left in the world. Enough for us to put on these things and have people turn up. But I think the greater point, though, and I love it, I truly love it, is, hey, Let's maybe not focus this on car, 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 but this is a really cool sporting event. And let's bring in some things that you might know that might be familiar to you. Some people, some stuff. Um, let's make this a celebration of greater Bay Area sports and traditions and see what kind of crossover we might be able to generate. I love it. I absolutely love it, and who knows? Maybe we'll find out that that's what they're doing at Laguna, but also think to your point, we're going to Portland here in a couple days, and they have a very passionate fan base around an NBA team for sure, and I think just about everywhere we go, where among the circuits that we mentioned just a moment ago that could probably do to call Chris Blair and see what can be learned, 
probably some sort of sports something where you can do exactly as you've mentioned, make it more of an event than a race. And I bet you some folks, they're going to be a number of folks that really like what they see. Because, you know, there's another thing, too, which maybe is a, an angle to close on on this topic, and that is, sure seems like we do things that we like and we're comfortable with. And finding things that are in that general sphere that are maybe a little bit different, that interest in different ways or tickle a different kind of fancy, I think that's something many of us are on the lookout for on a regular basis. That makes me wonder. Honestly, if, hey, you're a big pick the sport, stick and ball, whatever it is, type fan of your local sports teams. Hey, if you've been going to those things for years and you like big events and you like interesting stuff, let's give this a try. Just even if you're not a big car person, maybe you just like big time events. And for those of us who maybe feel like, boy, you know, there's been a lot of repetition in life. We like this thing, but, you know, uh, it doesn't exactly feel fresh and new. Maybe this is a cool variation to try. And who knows? Maybe you actually make racing fans out of people who aren't big car or racing fans at all. Let's go to at Vita Viance, who says, hashtag me personally. That's a perfect use, by the way. Can't just say personally. Hashtag me personally. That's our style guide. For the Marshall Pro Podcast, because I'm an idiot, and it drives me mad, but I love it. Uh, I thought the firestorm around Sato at Pocono showcased a particularly ugly side of IndyCar fandom. Is IndyCar aware of its blind spots regarding camera angles, and is it planning to expand wide-angle availability so that situations like this don't happen again? Interesting question, because it touches on perception and adjudication, to use a word I think I learned uh, by watching Judge Wapner coming up in the 80s. Different, though. Different question than, is IndyCar aware that there might be a situation in terms of blind spots for its drivers? I know that was raised last week, I believe, on the show. If not, I apologize. But we had a great question or suggestion from someone saying just about every car you buy, even the cheapest little junk box on the dealership floor has some sort of side indicator lights on the mirror, whatever it is, whatever method it is, there is some sort of indicator light to tell you if someone is coming by you on either side. So just normal daily driving if you're about to get past, whether it's a radar, whether it's who knows the method, there, there are a variety of methods, but just about every road car has this technology. Is there something IndyCar might consider to either alert a driver that they are being passed on one side or the other, knowing that a spotter might not be able to see every segment of an oval circuit like Pocono, for example? And could there be something even more in terms of proximity that might tell a driver, hey, you're getting, you're too close. You're within X amount of inches of the car next to you. That might be something to reconsider. That's something that came in. And I would say that since you can get this in your most bargain basement Kia or whatever thing you might get, um, I would have to imagine that if I'm thinking IndyCar 2022, 
in chassis technology that there's going to be something coming. Uh, we do know that in sports cars, we have this uh, for sure in many cars. Not necessarily all, but uh, many do have some sort of radar, sonar, some sort of R that especially uh, looking rearward, we have cameras that get used to indicate if someone's looking to pass you left or right because knowing that in endurance racing a lot of those take place at night some track sections are not well lit so just a true driver's aid that helps bring awareness to things they might not be able to see in terms of being overtaken and to then avoid turning in clashing and whatnot i think this is a great area for indycar to really say okay it's a priority we can do this if uh gut bucket $13,000 junk pile that we could go buy right now on the street can do it. Uh, these million dollar machines certainly should be able to tell an Alexander Rossi, Hey dude, smoking by you on the right. Um, and, or the guy smoking by him on the right. Hey, <laughs> uh, you look close, pal. There has to be the ability to convey this information. Uh, so, that's that part. As to your question, Monsieur or Mrs. Vidavions, I think it's a Mister. Um, I don't know if IndyCar felt that there was a blind spot in terms of what they were able to see, and that matters because the one piece of footage that the Ray Hall team and, and I believe Takuma posted as well to quote, and I'm using air quotes here, exonerate themselves was from their IndyCar mandated overhead camera system. And that is not the broadcast camera. That is their own onboard camera. And from that angle, that is what the team used and certainly felt to was good enough to present to the world to say, see, wasn't our guy. He didn't do it. So IndyCar has access to all of that. That is new for this year, mandated for everyone. I don't think that there's a, a general feeling that they lack ability here. Would say that you know, where a lot of the confusion came from seemed to be from the broadcast angles. Keeping in mind, it's not NBC's job to feed IndyCar with 20 different angles to help them adjudicate things. But I, I don't know if there's a feeling that there's a lack. I think there might have been a feeling that, hey, this was a tough one. But I don't know how many of those situations we've actually seen this year where you, or even in recent years where you go, boy, just truly insufficient over and over and over again. So do I think that when we get to this next generation chassis, we could have all kinds of things possibly, some sort of 360 options and whatnot? I would hope. Uh, give us a couple years of technology and integration, and you know, I'm, I'm sure it could be done today. But I can also guarantee they're waiting for the next one, to the next chassis to really make big upgrades in such areas. Let's go to Joey of the Priuses. Hey, Joey. Joey asks, "What's the story with Dragon Speed not making it to Gateway? Do you think that?" Well, actually, let's stop there. Uh, from what I understand, there were a number of issues with visas knowing that the team is an international team, uh, certainly folks representing many fine countries from throughout the world, uh, understand that there were a number of visa issues. And with visa issues, getting folks into the country to then prep a car and then go race it, 
Uh, I believe all those things, Joey, have been resolved. But uh, again, that's what I heard. Not not stating it as fact, but heard that that was the case. And so I would just say that if you're not sure you can get your people or all the people you need into the country to prep the car to go race it, it would be hard to commit to going. I do know that they were wanting to and trying to get to Gateway. Joey also says, do you think they'll be back this year with both Portland and Laguna clashing with European Le Mans Series races? He says, from my fan perspective, me personally, there you go. The quote, full-time in 2020 plan seems more and more unlikely with every missed race. Great, great question here, Joey. I am not sure I'm going to see Elton Julian and the gang at Portland or Laguna. Um, because of the aforementioned clash, I wouldn't necessarily link though, Joey, the downturn in the amount of races they were hoping to do this year with anything not happening next. Keep in mind, they bought a car. It's brand new. I mean, they have invested in all the equipment. They were one of the big stories at the Indy 500. Uh, They have been well-received within the paddock. I know that there have been some really interesting talks. I can't go into more, but I'll just share this because maybe it adds a little bit of context. There have been some interesting conversations that have taken place regarding Dragon Speed and next year. I I know this. I know that the team and its backers, keep in mind, they are privately funded. You go, what does that mean? Is it, is it crazy money? Is it Bitcoin? No, just... They have some very strong supporters, uh, some call them wealthy and or successful folks who are part of the uh, part of the team, and they love to go racing. And that's pretty cool, right? I mean, that was <laughs> that was Roger Penske back in the day, and that was many other drivers back. That was Dale Coyne back in the day. Granted, on a super crazy budget and with some old you know wacky mobiles, but. This is a little bit of an old school thing. Hey, we love IndyCar racing. It's a dream. We want to do this. We've got to try and fit this in. We already have this existing commitment to the FIA WEC that runs through the 24 hours of Le Mans in the middle of June. So we've got to complete that. We're contractually obligated. Uh, they did announce they are not doing the WEC, which starts this weekend. Uh, it's next super season. So that frees things up. They're going to continue doing the ELMS. I would just I would say that them clearing the decks with the WEC done by and large to make sure that their desire to expand next year in IndyCar was certainly not going to be an issue in terms of dates and clashes and whatnot. So we'll see if this all bears out, Joey. Just know that Elton Julian loves IndyCar, truly loves IndyCar and feels super extra warm about the reception the teams had. And so I would be surprised if they were not there for at least, say, 10 races next year. And if they could go full-time, that would be even better. But I think this year's just been a little bit different for a variety of reasons, none of them regarding uh, diminishing interest, possibly causing them to scuttle the whole thing. Uh, Lance Snyder, I love this one, taking a dig at me, which is as you should, but a funny dig. Why did you hold back on the biggest story of the year in IndyCar? IndyCar stopping use of the LED panels. You got me, Lance. Uh, I was trying to time that one. I knew 
This is going to be the one that gets me the Pulitzer. I keep waiting for their call. I'm sure they will. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, some of you may know this. It it drives me mad, but it's just it's a beautiful celebration of the randomness of life. In May, I think it was May. Yeah, I think it was May. Might have been last year, May. I don't remember. But in May. I felt like I wrote a lot of stuff and this is for racer.com. I felt like I wrote a lot of stuff, some of it, some of the historical bits, some of the, whatever, not saying my work is great. Would never say that. I more or less never believe that, but I think I did some pretty darn good work in may and beyond. I'm not talking like free practice to report. I mean, really good content some things that I really put a lot of effort into a lot of time spent. And I believe the number one story of the month was a fricking thing about led panels. And it just, and that's happened like three times in the past two years or however long, no matter what it is, I could write the thing where I'm like, man, I'm really proud of that. Really just, I don't know what it was. Like I, I, I ha- was, just inspired and the words flowed and the syntax was good. And then I'll write a fricking story about the led panels. Cause something will happen. Hey, they're going to change vendors. Hey, they're going to take them off the car and boom, double the traffic, triple the traffic of the thing that I'm most proud of. I'm like, boy, that one should really be the crowning piece of traffic for the month. Nope. Fricking led panel. Uh, and I believe once or twice, because we get these reports internally, uh, I believe once or twice a freaking LED panel story has led all topics for the month. I'm sorry for the yeah for the month, just insane. So that's why Lance is giving me a little bit of beef here, which I love. Yeah, I got to tell you, man. Uh, as I said to Jay Fry when I called him, just confirmed that they were dead after they came off the car for port uh, for Pocono and weren't coming back. I said, "You man, you're you're killing me here. <laughs> you're killing me professionally. I mean, what else am I going to write about? This is my this is my go to number one. Um, so, anyways, he had a, a little chuckle at my expense, as he should. And then our man Ryan Terpstra added in. Remember, I mentioned at the upfront, we finally have a sponsor for the week in IndyCar Q and A soapbox. That is." mold miller's outdated led depot so yes indeed just as we have christoph bushu's hammer emporium as the fake sponsor for our weekend sports cars soapbox indeed the brand new maybe permanent until someone comes up with something better the new sponsor the first sponsor of the weekend indycar soapbox miller's outdated led depot mold buy it soak in it be disappointed uh we're gonna go to ryan's question next he says i know santino frucci seemed to acknowledge he made mistakes and regretted not owning up to them on the podcast last week how does he provide auto week with a quote that amounts to he has no regrets over what happened shake my head so ryan and i actually had a little bit of a uh, um sharing of thoughts on this a little deeper on the good old direct message so I'll recap a little bit of that. Yeah, I mean, I I saw the headline. I will admit I didn't read the story. No disrespect to uh, whomever wrote it at Auto Week. Genuinely, I just 
didn't read it, uh, but saw the headline and saw some of the takes, hot takes people had on that. And um, I just receive things this way. And so that maybe this is a perfect segue because we have introduced the mold, the Miller's outdated LED Depot as the official Weekend IndyCar Soapbox sponsor. The Santino Ferrucci kit, I think for another year, maybe two, is going to be someone who, whenever the name is mentioned on social media in particular, is going to just get flamed. The people who read about what happened last year at the Silverstone F2 race have not forgotten. We know this. We have evidence of this because whenever his name is mentioned, he gets absolutely flamed. And some of that's deserved. Some of it is not. The thing that's interesting here, and I'm going to come back to the the, the central point you raised, Ryan, in a minute about his comment to auto week, seemingly fanning the flames to his, uh, those who feel he is Satan in a mild faux hawk miniature pint size frame. Um, a couple of interesting things here. Maybe it's not so much of a soapbox. Maybe it's just a, let's talk a little bit. So recapping, I've known the kid since he was about 12, maybe 13. And I say kid, that's not a, in any kind of disrespect. I'm 48. I'm going to be 49 here in December. So, I mean, truly, he's a kid to me, at least. Robin Miller calls me kid. And so, again, n- there's no disrespect. But I've known the kid since he was truly a kid. Um, Not saying he and I have been great friends, best, none of that. Just known him for a while, known his people, known that have been in and around him. And... Not saying the kid has spent long enough in the world seeing the world through his own eyes. I definitely know that of the things I've heard a lot of, seen a little bit, little bit, not a lot of my own, but a little bit. Definitely heard that one of my, my favorite comedians, Bill Burr, uses the phrase hard drive, talking about parents downloading whatever kind of, whether it's prejudices, uh, prejudices, um, racist thoughts, sexist thoughts, bad thoughts, whatever it is, downloading all that crap into their kid's little hard drive and then watching the little kid walk around and just play what's on that hard drive. Not saying it's been like that necessarily with Santino and his dad, but that's been the reputation going back for quite a while carting days in particular a lot of stories about acting out and not just being brash but just like wow um hmm this is uh his dad 2.0 and there's a lot of stuff and ways of being and acting and talking that really you haven't been on this earth long enough to earn those yourself so sounds like they might be coming from your old man that reputation certainly continued in europe the incidents in Silverstone were definitely tinged by this. Father and son saying bad things, potentially racially tinged things to his teammate who is Indian. You have this weird thing of reputation being brought along. You have things that took place at Silverstone that happened 
you have things that did not happen, but there are misperceptions and now firmly held this happened because I read it type things. And you go, huh? All right. That's not exactly accurate. I'll mention one of them. If you look at things that are being written about him by those who continue to write negative things about him, uh, one of the things you see was uh, him something about him holding his phone while driving the car from the old paddock to the F1 paddock. If you haven't been to Silverstone or aren't familiar, the old school F1 paddock, that is where support series happen to be located. Uh, in the old days, that would have been the F1 paddock. Now it's no longer. So what happens? Well, the fairly normal thing this happens for the support series at the F1 race. It happens for the WEC race. Um, we have a case where you get mechanics and whatnot who blast up to the Grand Prix, the, the modern pit lane and wait for their drivers who come around and drive basically half the circuit, if not maybe a little more than half the circuit in their cars at very low speed. And so it's this little bit interesting thing where you have two paddocks and one is considered the primary. And so you get this thing where the drivers drive slowly up to there and they're met there by their mechanics. Santino, as he explained to us, and I don't dis, I don't doubt him because there'd be no reason to. He told us a year ago in the podcast that he left his phone in his pocket when he climbed into the car and after his mechanics left, realized it and said, well, I can't hand this to anyone and I don't want it just sitting in my pocket and rustling around and maybe falling out down into the footwell. Very real concerns. It would be smarter and easier for me to take it out and hold it in my hand. And so I made a mistake. I forgot to hand this over to my mechanic. I am trying to think of the smartest thing I can do, which is to just simply hold on to my phone while I drive along with all the other cars, all the other drivers at a slow pace to the proper race pit lane. Holding phone, seen holding phone, photos, I believe, taken of him holding phone. That has become texting and driving. No evidence has ever been presented that he was steering with one hand and texting away with the other. You really, I know you might be able to do it in your road car by kind of taking your hands off the wheel and using your knees. Can't really do that in a formula car like this. So just from a practical standpoint. But anyways, this thing of I screwed up, I admit I screwed up, I forgot, should have handed over my phone smartest thing I can do to make sure it doesn't get loose is hold it in my hand. Holding a phone in his hand has just become widely accepted as he was texting and driving. Although there's no evidence of that, but it's something where you go, huh? So does context matter? Does nuance matter? No, it's now written as, and he was texting and driving. There are people, especially last year, not so much now, the, the racial angle is the thing that comes up most, but especially last year, huge stuff, texting and driving. And don't you know how dangerous and you're setting the wrong and the kid wasn't texting and driving. Nonetheless, that's become the narrative. There have been 
there's been innuendo and suggestion that he and his father have either said things, acted in ways that were uncivil towards his teammate Arjun Maney and their family. There's been no evidence of that. Uh, there's, but there's been suggestion by the team that that was received. Okay. If the team itself, Trident, a very well-known team, is making that statement, while I might not have evidence of it, I'm going to err on their side that they saw or heard things or were told things by the Maney family that really was outside of their comfort zone and or just blatantly wrong. That's why I've said all along, I don't paint this kid as a saint. I don't believe he's a saint. I know I'm not. Doesn't mean he and I are the same. Just I don't think the kid's angelic. I don't think he's the devil, though. But regardless, we have some gray area here for sure. And so in an era of Internet outrage in this new thing, one of the most saddening things that I've seen in my years, this cancel culture seems like on Twitter every day. I see some sort of hashtag boycott name, whatever it is. <laughs> it's a restaurant. It's a this. It's a that. We, we, I'm part of us. We, we collectively are in this place where you do one thing canceled. You're dead. If we think you did something, whether we know it or don't, that's doesn't matter. You're dead. Um, and so that's what this kid's dealing with. Some of the things he was accused of, I'm confident are accurate. Some of them I'm very confident are not. Nonetheless, we have, I think, some folks who are very plugged in to the Internet outrage machine and now cancel culture. And as a result, a year later, as Ryan mentions here with him saying he has no regrets to auto week. Um, we have this thing where I believe folks that read stuff a year ago, some of which was accurate, some that was not some, I don't know if people, I don't know if some folks really truly care. Honestly, I think some folks just don't care. They read it. It's the kind of thing that makes them mad and damn it. This kid's just the worst. And if he could die instantly, that'd be awesome. And since he hasn't, well, we're just going to write a lot of bad stuff about him. Even though I think for some of the folks who are now kind of making a living writing about this kid and all of his bad ways, have you ever met him? Do you know him? Have you ever had a real sustaining, meaningful conversation? Or are you going off what you read on the internet last year? Or maybe got a quote from the team that said this or that. But again, have you any, it's interesting, Ryan, it's really interesting to see this thing where, man, you bait that hook and damn it. There are people who refuse to spit it out. It's just interesting. Uh, I mean, I don't, whether people love or hate Santino Ferrucci, I don't care. It doesn't change my life in any way. At least look at it's a kid I've known for a while. Yeah, I think he did some shitty stuff at Silverstone. I think he also didn't do some shitty stuff at Silverstone. I think the truth is more somewhere down the middle than all the way on the he's convicted. Please die at your earliest convenience. 
So I come back to the point of, I think that there are, as a result, a lot of folks who, when they see Santino having success, see him smiling, being happy, they get mad. They think, how dare you? How should you? How could you smile knowing the type of evil, venomous person that you are? Shouldn't you be in a perpetual state of apology? Shouldn't you know better? Shouldn't you shame yourself at all time? Shame, shame. The kid has said sorry and apologized. I wouldn't say strongly. Nonetheless, this is the thing that I'm just going to close on here. And if we're lucky, we're never going to talk about this again. I don't think we will because I'm sure it'll something else will come up. But I believe, as I mentioned to Ryan via DM, that for those who continue to write, yeah, he's an evil person and he's the worst and I don't care what success he has. He's still that super quadruple clan member from Europe or American in Europe and hates all Indian people and whatnot. Yeah, I think his old man, you know, I think his old man's rubbed off on him a little too much. He's also at an age where hopefully he starts to live life a little bit more independently. It's a really important part for all of us. We grow up getting our hard drives filled. Hopefully you spend some time saying, you know, I got a lot of stuff on hard drive. How much of it belongs? What kind of, what kind of stuff there can I purge? I'm hoping he's at that stage. So not saying this old man's bad. Look, my dad had some beliefs and opinions. I thought he was a progressive guy leaving Arkansas to come out here to California because he wasn't too fond on the whole uh, kind of Jim Crow everything that he grew up in. Yeah, uh, look, my old man was amazing. There's also some words and opinions that were, whew, uh, hashtag me too, hashtag uh, civil rights abuse. I mean, again, love my old man. I wish he was still here. I don't know what he would make of the world we're currently in, but just saying, uh, if my old man was around, my wife would either love him or be knocking teeth out of his face on a regular basis because, you know, as evolved as he was, not everything that came out of his mouth was clean and pure and loving. Um, so I know what it's like to have a father who, while I loved him to death, uh, I couldn't necessarily take him to parties. Um, so not saying Santino's in the same situation, just saying that reputationally and from a little bit of what I've seen, I get it. I could see it. But what I'm coming back to here, Ryan, is he's been convicted by folks who refuse to consider overturning their conviction. I don't believe half the people who've convicted him actually know what he did or did not do. They know what they read that t said what he did. But actual true knowledge of what he did or did not do, I, I think there's some big gaps. Nonetheless, there are those who want him to be in a constant state of apology. Don't smile. Don't show that you enjoy life. Just you're the worst. And we need, we need to see you in that place of knowing you're the worst. When in reality, he's not the worst. When in reality, again, Let's just look down the middle as the closer, closest thing to reality. Half of half of the stuff he's accused of, I'll just go with that. I'll buy that. 100%, not a chance. 
So how do you then want someone to be in a constant state of apology and whatnot when you're not even sure what he should truly be apologizing for? Just be apologizing. It's silly. And so in the quote of saying, I have no regrets over what happened. Yeah. It's a little bit of a different thing than he said on my show last week. Again, I mean, Hey man, it's his life. He says what he wants. I interpret it as this. He has spent the last year being asked and apologizing, trying to atone, trying to be a better human being. He has succeeded as I have seen witnessed, not heard, but witnessed seen this kid transform a lot over the span of a year. He's also learned from this. And so I'm assuming this could be totally wrong. But when he's saying he has no regrets over what happened, I don't interpret that on the surface of him saying, ha ha, screw you. That's right. And I'd do it again. If that's what he said in the article, then I'm wrong. The way I received it is this. He has spoken on the topic many times. It has changed his life. He has learned from it. And if he's young enough to realize that the dumb things you do and the bad things that you, that you do, not talking homicidal maniac or predatory or anything else, but Hey, can you learn from really stupid screw ups and become a better person? If so, I'm with you, man. No regrets. Do I wish it never happened? Sure. Do I, but in terms of regret, I'm not going to belabor the point here. The failures I have had professionally, personally, the bad choices I have made, I, I cannot think of many, if any, I would change if I could truly, I have no regrets over the things that I've done that are super questionable, super dumb, whatever. Why? Very obvious statement alert here because they've shaped me into who I am. And so take that stuff away that happened last year at Silverstone. And I don't know if I'm a super big fan of the kid right now because I don't think he would be nearly as evolved. So I could be imprinting a lot of my own thoughts on this to what is a completely inaccurate take on his comment that he has no regrets as we uh, wind down i believe the one and only use of the miller's outdated led depot soapbox on the weekend indycar this week but i look at this ryan as i have served my sentence i have apologized enough even though many of you think i should be apologizing for more maybe the things he hasn't apologized for are the things that didn't actually happen there's an idea Maybe that's the thing that causes folks to continue to bristle, but he hasn't apologized for this thing. Well, again, just throwing it out there. Maybe that thing didn't happen. Therefore, there's nothing to apologize for. Just, just an idea. Also, this not being a good look, which is another mention thing that you mentioned privately, not a good look to be saying publicly is no regrets. Not everybody lives their life making statements that are perfectly curated to be liked. Or do they care? Um, I'm not always perfect in this regard, but I got to admit, people say a lot of really nice things about me. People say a lot of really mean and nasty things about me. 
it doesn't change my life. I don't truly care. Again, the nice things, it's nice when people say nice things, but I can't let that be my value system. That would be ridiculous. Hey, a lot of people on social media said I'm great. Wonderful. And what if tomorrow they say you're the biggest piece of garbage ever? I mean, that's a heck of a thing to tie yourself into. I wouldn't assume that Santino is thinking, hmm, how can I say something that's going to land perfectly with my detractors on social media? Maybe his value system is, I'm going to say what I say. I'm comfortable with what I say because I chose to say it. And if folks love it or hate it, that's them, not me. I don't care. If that is indeed the way he sees things at 20 or 21 years old, that's pretty freaking amazing. Because at that age, for many people, uh, th- that's a rarity. So good on him for the things I assume or whatever I assume they are. All right, let's get to one or two more questions here. And then I'm going to shut it down for the night and continue in the morning, knowing that we are, I don't know, we're an hour 15-ish or whatever into the show I'm going to go to our pal Peter Nutt from the Holland, from what I used to say, folks from your lovely country were Hollish. Peter says, MP, your voice has been pretty upbeat in the last few episodes. Hope everything is improving at home. Just wanted to include that there to say thank you, Peter. Uh, Yes, I'm not claiming things are improving at home, but I am claiming that the state of emergency And yeah, that was reality for a while. Um, I'm comfortable in saying, while not saying much, that we're no longer in a state of emergency. And so uh, that's probably the tone, tonal change that you hear. He also says, what's the secret sauce of Gateway's attendance? He says his home race of Zandvoort, where F1's returning, had 1 million requests for tickets, and he says only 1 out of 16 duchies, uh, 1 out of 16 duchies tried to get in, so I lost my chance. What kind of budget should I reserve if I want to go to the Indy 500 instead? Again, that gateway attendance, which we spoke about earlier, you know, the prices, as I understand as well, are not exorbitant, so that's also a good thing. Plus, you throw in it's constant entertainment, food's pretty darn good, just yeah, I mean, it kind of has everything going for it. If we're talking budget for the Indy 500, not knowing the price of tickets uh, flying out of Holland at this moment, but if it's just you, you know, between a hotel, which is, if you book it early enough, might not be too bad, but you're going to spend $500,000 on a hotel probably, depending on how early you get in um rental car won't be too bad but they'd love to drive up the price so you budget about another three four five hundred dollars there probably again not knowing the length of your stay throw in your flights tickets shouldn't be uh too super expensive you're probably going to want to spend money on a little bit of swag and such so if it's just you flying can't exactly say the price of the flight but i would say just for you being on the ground uh, here, both staying and driving and then wanting to spend a little bit, buy some things, go and have some meals that clog your arteries. Uh, if you were to bring or if you were to set aside 
you know, 2,500, three grand, uh, 3,500, you'd probably be in pretty good shape. Uh, let's see. Let's go to green gecko. 119 from Twitter as our final question of the night. It says, Marshall, thoughts on the season for Andretti Autosport? It says, three cars haven't had much speed all season, and Rossi has struggled recently. Are they overextended? Does a fifth car help or hurt? Also curious about how ovals affect tire wear. Super uneven because of the turns and slope. Uh, first thing here, KP, Green Gecko 119 been an interesting one hasn't it four cars one has been a complete disaster one has been the official recipient of the marshall pruitt podcast anvil the cartoon anvil falling from the sky the good old acme model cartoon anvil falling from the sky full roadrunner wiley coyote style on ryan hunter ray and then there's alexander rossi who has been the absolute team leader in terms of results so far this year. I would say it's a pretty interesting observation and a sharp one that you have made here, Mr. or Mrs. KP Green Gecko 119. They have been good this year. I would not say they have been sustainably great. Most teams aren't. Team Penske has really been the one outlier in that regard. If we look at the amount of wins put on the board so far this year, (laughs) we have from the 15 races so far, seven of those have been won by Penske, four by Newgarden, three by Pagano, one recently here by Will Power. They've taken round numbers half the races. That's been amazing. Um, Scott Dixon. Taken two, and that's also really impressive as well. Sato has been, again, really impressive with his two. And other than Colton Herta being the uh, the Jamboree winner at Coda, thanks to, I mean, granted, they're having a really strong race, but a shuffle there with timings of yellow and whatnot. I mean, really, we're looking at Rossi's win at Long Beach and then backing it up with his butt whooping a second butt whooping that he delivered at road America you know from a win standpoint you got that um obviously his runner-up at Indy frustrated him but good for points second at Texas also very good podium with a third at Toronto also very good a little weird though not weird bad but just was it was it was expecting a little bit more as I trying to form words with my mouth that here we are with 15 races down and Rossi has what? Oh, I apologize. There's also the podium at Detroit. Um, he's been on the podium. What? One, two, three, four, five, six, six times out of 15 races. I think they might look at that as, as a bit of a disappointment. Um, think if we look at last year where it was clear it was alexander rossi or scott dixon i mean pagano has certainly been the surprise pony to you know really jump in here dixon as well i know again coming off a bad gateway but was certainly a lot closer here as well i don't know if overextended's the word i just think that things are a bit cyclical if we look at 
team Penske wasn't too long ago, just a couple years ago where boy, they were kind of sort of nowhere, uh, especially on damping front and whatnot. Uh, teams can go through this. You do this long enough and you start to struggle for big ideas. And you know, there are times where you go, okay, if you take the fact that Rossi has been their most consistent challenger, you take Ryan Hunter Ray running amazingly at St. Petersburg and boom, motor says goodbye. Um, obviously he backed that up with a podium at Coda. He has what another podium at mid Ohio. He's had some other top five ish type runs but by and large. You know, it's been a lot of misfortune. Uh, some other days, just a little bit of drift hasn't had a great year. Feels like he's had a bad couple of years. Then you have Zach Veach, who impressed, I believe, just about everybody last year as a rookie and just hasn't happened this year. Uh, chemistry, I think you might say, between he and his race engineer. Not saying there were issues, but I know that when you make a change with a couple of races to go, you have to wonder, you know, maybe something needs to be shaken up there a little bit. And Marco's season, he's just been, I mean, it's just, it's been I don't know how much more I need to talk about it. I've spent some time recently talking about Marco's year, and I i mean, he's ahead of Zach in points, which is might be the biggest surprise uh, to know that at this point. But considering how Tony Kanon, who, again, uh, up until the podium this past weekend, was just having the most brutal year of his career, I mean, Tony, the worstest of the worst is now ahead of Marco in points. Marcus Erickson, who, except for that one shining podium at Detroit, has had a pretty brutal year if we're just looking at the results. He's two points behind Marco. So a rookie who can't wait to come back next year and have a do-over is, you know, just drafting about to potentially pass Marco in points here the last couple of races. I, yeah. So across the four, I would just say that two of them been a complete outliers. Can't rely on them. Don't know what you're going to get each weekend for a variety of reasons, but regardless of whether it's the driver, engineer, who, whatever tires, arrow, whatever, doesn't matter what the reason is. The reality is half of the Andretti Autosport team is not contributing, is not there struggling Therefore, not helping the overall team to improve. Meaning, yeah, I know that uh, if Marco's struggling in practice, that wouldn't in theory slow down a Rossi or a Hunter Ray. What it does, though, is mean that of the cars that could be learning valuable things, throwing that into the general pool of knowledge that a Rossi or Hunter Ray might use, their engineers might use to improve their cars, I would struggle to say that's been happening a lot this year. So when you cut the team's useful information in half at many so many rounds, I'd say that's a contributor. Would also say that you know we've had a couple instances where with Rossi they have just murdered, nailed the setup. Just there are a few other few too many races where you go, man, they've been good. A little bit better sure would help though, and so yeah strategy at the last race seemed to be something that was really weird not sure how they got to where they got but yeah there was something a little bit wonky there as well so 
finishing 13th at Gateway. Um, yeah, that one's a little bit painful. Hunter Ray, again, uh, just I'm running out of ideas of what to suggest to kill the bad juju, um, the bad karma, the bad something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'd love the guy. I'd love to see him like Tony, you know, twilights of their careers. Um, would love to see things go better. All that said, even with what feels like it's been a rough year for Ryan, he's seventh in points. Uh, Sato just leapt ahead a bit and as a result of the win, but you know, with two races to go, could he crack the top six? Definitely. Uh, top five might be a little bit tough, but anyways, back to your point. Half the team has been contributing the other half. We don't even know they're in the races, uh, most of the times. So that certainly complicates things. I think they're going to have a pretty hard look though in the off season of, all right, was there a trend that we missed? Were, were we off on something that allowed us to you know, really be playing second fiddle more often than we should to a team Penske driver? And so, yeah, as for going to five cars, six cars, will that detract? No. Depending on the caliber of driver, I think it might be the opposite. Um, you know, I want to see Marco Andretti succeed. I like the guy. I really do. I mean, no one wants to see someone go throughout an IndyCar career and, and leave it going, boy, uh, there's a lot more to get out of it than you did. I'd love to see him succeed. I just don't know if and when that's going to happen. Uh, Zach Veach, I know they want him to be as strong as possible. Uh, they're hoping to have his sponsor re-up and add more years to his three-year deal, which concludes at the end of 2020. So want to see him succeed. But I know for sure that if I'm looking at next season and I'm wanting to have the most competitive opportunities possible based on how this year has gone and the data currently available, I'm not feeling super strong. Andretti Autosport might be four cars right now. Honestly, um, they're operating results-wise like a two-car team. So if you can draft in somebody to a fifth car like a Colton Herta, who I am pretty much have heard is guaranteed to be announced as the fifth Andretti driver, boom, <laughs> there you go. It's not as if he isn't contributing to the information and all those things, but I'm talking about truly fully embedded hundred percent in the Andretti Autosport shop, hundred percent plugged into who they are every day, helping to shift, change, improve, etc. Um, yeah. With him as the third contributor. Wow. That's amazing. If they can sign a deal with, and I believe there's a question here somewhere down the pipeline about possibly Meyer shank racing with Jack Harvey. Could he be, uh, could they be the satellite team that they work with next year? Um, again, all the various options in front of us would just say that if I am Andretti Autosport looking at the team-based opportunities to grow, to add more sponsors, but also to become more competitive, knowing that you haven't had half of your team there helping. Yeah, I love the idea of adding a fifth and possibly a sixth uh, through a satellite program if it is really, really strong. Um, close here on your question. 
uh, about how ovals affect tire wear, keeping in mind that with all these suspension adjustments that you can make that tilt the tire in or out, if you're looking at the top from camber, left or right, if you're looking at it from behind in terms of toe, if you are looking at the geometry that you can adjust, that would alter lots of things. Um, you can certainly make a tire uh, wear, call it evenly, uh, even though it's on an uneven surface, such as, say, a banked or dished or sloped oval. So you often see any def- any errors or deficiencies in setup show up immediately in tires because they'll tell you, hey, <laughs> what are you doing, buddy? Uh, the thing goes left. And what I'm telling you, based on the wear pattern, says you kind of got me going right too much or you got me leaned in too much and I'm wearing on the edge of the tire instead of evenly across the entire surface, etc. I mean, that's the cool thing about tires. They tell you what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong, and it's, you can't ignore it. You look at it. It's, it's like a report card. Nope, you suck. Overinflated me. And look at all the wear and the blistering and the little stripes down the middle or underinflated. What are you doing? You're killing, killing the sidewalls, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, but no, the cool thing is, is with all the adjustability built into IndyCar suspension and frankly, just every suspension on a race car, throw them on an oval for the most part, and you can tune the manner in which all four tires sit and rest on the track surface as the cars go round and round. All right, it's 1128. You're going to hear from me when we come back uh, in the morning on the 27th of August. And also be interviewing Connor Daly and Dakota Dickerson. So hopefully this will be going up tomorrow and or when you're listening to this, maybe today. I'm not sure. All right, I'm going to go get some rest and look forward to speaking to you for part two tomorrow. Well, so much for the best laid plans. Not picking up Tuesday morning. It is Tuesday. Tuesday. I'm just leaving this in. I'm sorry. I'm just, it's just I'm going to be as terrible as I am. You're getting to see the real me. It's 9.57 p.m. on a Tuesday evening. I have about, I don't know, an hour maybe or so uh, to dedicate to the remainder of your questions. I know I won't get to all of them. We're at about the hour and a half-ish mark, so let's keep jamming, and we're going to continue here with Mark J. Cardella, who says, if Pocono is retained, what do you think about limiting driver aggressiveness, protecting themselves from themselves, by narrowing the track with brightly painted out-of-bound lanes on the stretches, on the front stretches of the something between the corners? This could buy time for the track to invest in new fence technology uh just going back to an earlier item mark i don't think we're gonna have to worry about this anymore would just say that coming up with some form of relative contrivance doesn't mean that drivers could not still hit one another and then have a lot of space left on the track to build speed and then climb up into the fencing so you can paint lanes on the track you can do all kinds of things if the issue is the fencing 
concerns about the fencing, concerns about safety of the drivers. Um, I just can't think of anything we might do at a track, not just Pocono, but any other track where you'd try and keep drivers in some corralled lane or space that would magically prevent them from getting into the safety devices that we kind of agree could be better. So uh, I like the general mindset here, Mark, of what could be done to maintain a track. I uh, would just say that not a big fan of Band-Aids, though. So I like the mindset. What can we do that would allow the racing to continue? Um, fence technology, if we're talking Pocono in particular, it's been that way for a long time. They've known it's been that way for a long time. Uh, they have seen it and deemed it as fine. So instead of coming up with some sort of, we're going to corral you over here while you hopefully save money for new fencing or new technology, I'd just say that maybe the fact that I seriously doubt IndyCar is going back, um, maybe a lack of major, major events there would be the thing to help them understand that to continue, they do need to find, whether it's investors or partners or something, to improve things. And I don't want to just rail on Pocono. I mean, there are certainly other ovals where you go, oh, boy, uh, we could do better here, too. Just obviously Pocono is one that jumps out in light of the crashes we've seen. Going to go to Joe Izzo. MP, just for fun, I just got funding for a 10-year $250 million IndyCar program. What does it take to get you out of retirement? Salary, shop location, Indy or IMSA or both. You get to name the team. I need you to lead this team. Won't you come out of retirement and be the Mike Hole to my Chip Ganassi? Ah, uh, Joe, I love you. That That's... <laughs> so I'll say something a little bit serious up front and then steer away from that. I was good. I've said this before. I was good at what I did in IndyCar, whether I was from the engineering side, the management side, the whatever. It was never great. I had bursts of really, really good. I own that. I'm, there's no self-deprecation here. This is. I'm a big believer in being honest with myself about who I am, what I am, what I was, and I try to avoid the uh, the routine of the older I get, either the faster I was or the better I was. So. I was good. I wasn't great, man. So I love this. I do think, though, that since it's been 9, 10, however many years since I've managed and run a racing team, I do think I've learned a lot and might actually be better if I were to do it again. But not great. Seriously, not great. And here's the little secret. A lot of the teams competing in IndyCar are not managed by greats they're managed by goods or very goods uh so yeah maybe that but even among some of the the current goods i don't know if i'd measure up to their standards so i love that i'll tell you a 25 million dollar a year over 10 year budget i mean you would be the the most i would have so many people trying to rob you steal you get you to be their guy that I don't think I'd be I'd have a job for very long because the better folks would come and grab you and take you away because that's a really serious budget. Uh, that's more than double of what I've heard is the highest amount being spent for a program right now, a single car program. So 
that's really good. As for the name of the team, if you're spending that money, I mean, that that's that's straight up Izzo Motorsports, right? Um, I mean, my name's not going to be on the dang thing. If you're spending that kind of money, and I hope you're paying me well, um, yeah, man, you get to name, you could rename me. <laughs> you could choose my name. That would be fun. Every race, you could just decide I had a different name. Slapdick McGee running the team this weekend. I just kind of raised my hand and wave and just know that my public embarrassment, something I live within on a regular basis, at least there is some serious cash attached to it. So, yeah, uh, shop location. I mean, look, I am in the Bay Area. It's it's not cheap, but it's really beautiful. And, you know, folks tend to leave pretty happy lives here. So maybe out here, maybe we'd be that really old school West Coast IndyCar team thing again. And, uh, yeah, I also like the idea of having an IMSA team just because, you know what, sometimes you want to go play sports cars. So it's a great question, Joe. Um, it wouldn't take much to get me out of retirement because, uh, again, you know, it's not like I've got a whole lot to uh, to argue against here. Sure. You want to pay me? Let's go have fun. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Tony Kanon's podium doesn't mean a thing. That's a really lovely name you've given yourself here on Twitter, at what's third place. Uh, Marshall, what is Alan Sir Jr. ties? All right, this phrase is a little awkward. Uh, let me try and get some syntax clarification here. Marshall, what is Al Unser Jr.? Uppercase T ties, which HSR looked like after the DUI charge. Haven't seen him in a while. And could we see Marco step down from the 98, creating another open seat at Andretti? Uh, little Al has been back with the Harding Steinbrenner racing team now for, I think, two races. Could be wrong, maybe it was three, but been back for one or two. Um, yeah, of all the questions about what may or may not happen with that team at the end of the season, meaning will they still be around? Little Al's one of a small handful of folks that I'm worried about because without that salary, uh, I don't know. I'm hoping he would get some opportunities elsewhere. Keep in mind that while he is beloved by many, I think there are also many who have seen him stumble a few too many times to maybe want to be as benevolent as Mike Harding has been. So I hope not just for his sake, for Brian Barnhart's sake and for the sake of many others there that through their affiliation with Andretti Autosport, that they do continue to work with them. Uh, just it doesn't sound like Colton Herta from what we hear and what I hear is going to be in their car next year. Um, as for Marco stepping down, I have heard nothing about that. I have thought about that, not because I dislike Marco or don't want him to be a race car driver, but I've definitely thought, boy, you've been doing this as long as you have, and the results have been as mixed or poor as they have been for a good while now. I don't know if there's a reason to believe you should keep coming back and doing this. So no, I'm treading some stuff over some stuff. We've already been over a little bit, especially in the last week or two as well, more than once, but look at where he is in the standings. Look at how the season has gone. Look at the changes. It would seem like the perfect opportunity to bow out uh, or say, Hey, you know what? I had a lot of fun in my true youth. He's still young, but in my youth, youth, 
doing prototype racing. Maybe that could be something we kick off again and I can lead that for Andretti Autosport. I don't know. Um, but yeah, although it seems like this is the perfect opportunity to say thanks, I have had fun. I'm doing other things. I have not heard that being matched with anything internally. All right, let's rock and roll here through some more questions. Luke Philippone says, Marshall, sorry if this has been asked before. I don't think it has. It says, why does IndyCar elect to run the road course arrow kits on short ovals? Compared to a road course, how trimmed out do teams set their cars with the large wings on these ovals? Thanks and hope all is well. You will find, Luke, that the vast majority, if not almost uniformity across all of the entries on a short oval like in Iowa, for sure, uh, also a gateway, you're not going to find really many takers on the low downforce option. And the reason being is the corner speed is so high to be competitive. At least you need lots and lots of downforce. So everyone more or less lives with the drag and downforce penalty on the straights. So everyone for the most part is dealing with the same aerodynamic limitations. Hey, we're all not achieving our true maximum top speed if we were to lay the wings down but the reason is yeah we might hit a crazy number at the end of the straights but then our brakes would be glowing going into each corner to get the thing slowed down and then by comparison we would be tiptoeing so that's the real answer luke as to why road course arrow not super speedway arrows used on these small ovals and we do have the I guess you could say that the, the physical differences as well to keep in mind, just from a reasoning standpoint, if you think about Indianapolis turn one, big track, long corner, relatively friendly radius. That is not the case at an Iowa. Uh, that is not really super the case at gateway from last weekend as well. So things happen very quickly and in relatively tight cramped manner. And that's where you need downforce to get a car around uh, those corners. Now, if they were to go to super speedway, it would be interesting because we would have that dynamic where, wow, these things are bullets on the straight, but super, super, super turtling through the corners, uh, just crawling around because there would not be enough downforce to really allow the drivers to carry much speed there. So I don't know if that would be entertaining. I really don't think it would. And since, modern day tires without the the fairly tall old school sidewalls and such things that would allow the tire to roll a bit and create the opportunity to do a bit of drifting since we don't have that you know it'd be cool if we had speedway arrow on the short ovals they blast down the straights break cock the thing in do a little scandinavian flick and power slide through the corners, super drift style. I love that idea. It'd be amazing if IndyCar said, you know what? We're going to see if we can do it. Just We're going to just try it. Don't know if that's going to ever happen, but I'd love to see it. But that's the reason why. To make these cars perform on small ovals, you need the big downforce. Let's go to Sean's page. It says, MP, any word? If IndyCar is working with a video game developer to make a game that could rival the, the successful and fun F1 video games that are out, seems like a good way to bring in a younger crowd with the rise of esports. 
especially with F1. I feel like IndyCar could be missing out on an opportunity. Sean, my brother, I feel like this should almost be a weekly topic and something where we ask our friends at IndyCar for a weekly update. Hey, (laughs) this gets raised all the time. It occurs to everybody, gamers, non-gamers. Boy, really feels like IndyCar is just way behind and losing. I mean, every day, every month, every year that IndyCar is not in this space, it's just, you know, what you don't want to do is be the person who in 2017 says, hey, I heard about this new thing called Facebook. I, I should sign up for that. Meanwhile, the rest of the world has signed up for it a decade ago and many have said all right well that was fun now i'm on to something else you don't want that to be the dynamic for indycar where by the time they finally come up with something with someone esports is even bigger has so many established things with other racing series in general that it's just comes across as a token oh that's cute you finally figured out hey don't know if you've heard there's this thing called the interweb. Got to admit, Sean, this question comes in a lot. I don't always pick it up from whomever sends it in. Just wanted to grab yours because it certainly is worth another another little reminder that while IndyCar is doing many, many, many good things, a lot of fantastic things, um, this is one where they for whatever reason, continue to absolutely fail. I mean, that's I, we could paint it with prettier words. It's failing. It is failure. Well-known thing, highly needed thing, true, true necessity to connect IndyCar with a younger generation, knowing that its demographic is old, and yet there's nothing. So hard to say how or why this improves i just hope that this stops being a topic we need to talk about so we can talk about hey it's there it's a thing it's cool um who knows maybe mclaren which has been deeply embedded with this maybe mclaren could somehow educate our friends at indycar on the subject uh would also just close on this topic and saying that indycar did go through a change of senior vp of marketing uh, during the off season and we've gone through a change of the communications department almost 100 percent here now another person kate Guerra, has left so the changing of the guard as well can be a big positive just also something where these things do not get developed overnight knowing that the last regime made if we look at actual what has been done no progress. Lots of talks, lots of conversations. No visible action. Let's go to Richard Henshaw. And this is one of the things that I enjoy and mention. Hey, if you got a comment, not so much a question, but a comment, throw it in. We'll do our best. Richard says, the UAK-18 Aero Kit has been a big success in a lot of ways. In appearance, putting more literally in the hands of the drivers and street and road courses, short ovals for raciness. The clear failing in the UAK 18 has been its lack of raceability on super speedways. 
which has caused Indy to become less exciting and Pocono to become more averse to risky driving decisions. Is it worth the aerodynamic investment for IndyCar to consider a more specialized aero package for super speedways? Would a more sophisticated aero package that creates more downforce and more opportunities for drafting provide for entertaining super speedway racing like we had from 2014 to 2017? Also, if the drivers know they will have more opportunities to pass in the normal course of a speedway race, are they less likely to make risky maneuvers on starts and restarts? Imagine what the current improved state of the series could gain from the amazing raciness we had at Indy Pocono and Fontana just a few years ago. Finally, is this all a moot point if Pocono is not returning to the schedule? I would say no, Richard. It's not moot. Whether Pocono is or is not on the schedule, it won't be. Um, this is definitely worth a greater think. One of the things that IndyCar is super, super paranoid about, and I understand the reasoning, is costs. Driving up costs, making their owners pay for more things. The one item we have heard everyone lament the loss of from not looks, but from the raciness that you speak of are the old Kardashians, the rear wheel guards. Now, I might be thinking that it's worth developing something similar, not as big and ugly, but something because the issue that we have received with this UAK 18, the increased drag and just call it turbulence coming off of the cars now and last year as well, created enough of a problem for the following drivers to where you try and get close and that dirty, turbulent air is messing with the front of your car. And it's moving it around and bouncing it around. And I'm, ex- I'm exaggerating, but in order to pass and see lots of passes and the ability for folks to move forward if they can really get a good run, or are close to is having the front of the car want to stick to the ground. And so we had Firestone work on improvements on their front tires at Indy. That seemed to be an improvement. IndyCar made small change to the front wing, doing a bit of notching to try and help cure some stalling of the air in the interaction with the front wing end plates. Just say overall, There are some things that have been done to try and improve the front of the car in terms of how it grips in reaction to the dirty air coming off of the back of the car in front of it. So that's good for the trailing driver. Just a general mindset of, huh, to improve the looks, improve things, we have given up drag efficiency. We have increased more turbulence. So... If we're going to get back to a place to where drivers can run a little bit closer and we could have the opportunity for more passing, that's the thing that needs to be considered. And if that's a willingness on IndyCar's part, then great. It's going to cost money. And so I think that might be something that is causing them to be a little bit hesitant. Also knowing, in theory, we only have two two more years of this package once we get into the 2020 season. Um, I don't know if they want to do that, but I would hope 
in the name of the show and putting on the best show. This is really something to me, Richard, for sure, that I think warrants significant investigation. Uh, It's their series. It's their cars. It's their arrow. I mean, truly, they choose what they use. There's no one else coming up with outside ideas outside of IndyCar's control that affects the racing. Everything they decide to do results in what we see on track. So if they're pleased with what they've seen on the speedways, then there's nothing to talk about. But I would say drivers and fans probably wouldn't argue if we saw a little bit more fun and creativity with passing on the super speedway. So would be worth a look on their part. Buddy Campbell, hey, buddy, he says, with the camera technology already existing in IndyCar and in the market, could spotters use VR goggles to aid in spotting? I've seen many live 360-degree cameras on race cars. This way, line of sight and distance problems, like at Pocono, wouldn't be an issue. That's a really interesting one, buddy. Never thought of that one. What I don't know, because this is my ignorance here, since I've never used VR goggles, is I would assume you are reliant on camera angles and feeds. Knowing that not everything would be available to the spotters when they want them, meaning could they be forced to rely on an NBC feed? Or if we're talking about, say, going to cars that have 360-degree cameras, is that something that the spotters would have control of? Doubtful. That would probably be something that uh, NBC Sports controlled. Uh, I I don't dislike the idea by any means. I'm just trying to think of, of the practical application. If we had a system where spotters could tap into any and all feeds that they wanted, then in theory, they might be able to see things that they really have never seen before, be able to judge even more accurate than they do. Also throw in the, the counter argument that the issue at Pocono was just poor implementation. Uh, had IndyCar decided to put a riser there where folks were standing 20 or 30 feet in the air, uh, in the section where they really could not get a proper perspective on what happened in the big crash, um, this might have panned out somewhat differently. Um, but yeah, I think you're on to something, though. I think just binoculars, knowing that imaging, technology, ideas, creativity, there's lots of cool stuff happening there. Uh, I wonder how long it will be before a team decides, hey, let me work with our partner, whatever tech company to see what can be done or if indycar itself might say hey you know we're going to make some things available to you that were never made available before all right let's see let's go to daniel kincaid says with andretti running five cars next year and still wanting a satellite team is meyer shank racing in the position to decide between ganassi and andretti autosport Uh, He also says, who else fills the satellite team role for Andretti if HSR closes? I've heard that Shank could definitely be that satellite solution. Um, Still not sure that's what we're going to see. I genuinely don't know. I mean, I'm pretty close with Mike. He wouldn't tell me, and that's as is his right. Um, It's an interesting one. I would think that for MSR's immediate impact over the next year or two, going with Andretti would be really smart. 
I, other than Ganassi, which has also expressed interest in working with MSR in this satellite-type capacity, I cannot think of a team more than Andretti that is, say, ready and geared up and prepared to shower them with a bunch of really good stuff, parts and pieces, engineers, information, and help that team be as competitive as it is capable of being. What does that mean? Well, we don't know what they're capable of doing. We know that there was a podium, which is really awesome, during the month of May for Jack Harvey, but we don't know. Is Jack really a guy who is meant to be running in the top six all the time? I don't know. Uh, We've yet to see it. It's not a surprise because it's still a small team that's learning, but there's still discovery to happen there. I do know that if we're just talking best chances, as we watch a Ryan Hunter Ray or an Alexander Rossi standing on the podium and then see maybe a Zach Veach or Marco Andretti, 12th, 15th, whatever, we know that those cars in 12th or 15th had just as good a chance of being on the podium because of the people running them and the technology on their cars. That's the note here for MSR. Give them the best shot, I believe would definitely be up to them to make the most out of it, though. Let's see. Let's go to Ian Keyworth. He says, general IndyCar question for MP. This year has flown by. And with the end of the season looming, what happens to all the teams at the end of September until next season? Could there be an option of non-championship races in the future in, say, the Middle East or Asia during October, November? That would be cool and a chance to test new drivers and expand IndyCar to a wider international market. The really short answer is, Ian, is sleep. (laughs) I mean it. Um, If IndyCar were to announce tomorrow, hey, so your season ends, teams, on the 22nd of September, championship's over, but we just signed a deal. And middle of October through, let's say, end of November, you're going to be heading to some of the places you mentioned. We're going to New Zealand. We're going to India. We're, go- we're just going to barnstorm all over the place. I I think that Jay Fry would be engineering and chief mechanicing one of the cars. I think, uh, I think Rocket would be doing similar things because I do not believe IndyCar would have enough mechanics left working in the series because they would all quit or go look for work in the NHRA or NASCAR or IMSA or somewhere because while NASCAR has more races than IndyCar for sure, I don't know if the true grind tends to settle in as much as it does in IndyCar. I'd also say this, and I know that these are generalisms, pacing of IndyCar, you know, you see a lot of folks with families very connected to their families. Um, maybe there's more youth you will see in the average NASCAR team, not quite at that stage of life where everyone's married, got kids and dogs and mortgages and all that. With the IndyCar schedule, as our friend Craig Hampson told us two weeks ago, you know, more than anything, the grind of it gets to be not just the physical wear, and boy, we don't have a lot of time off, and if we're not on track, we're testing here somewhere. We're just 
it's nonstop from start till the end of the season. It's also the family side, man. I don't see my family much and I feel really guilty about it. So just saying here, Ian, um, I think you would have teams arguing a lot. Uh, and I think unless it's something where the mechanics and engineers, truck drivers and hospitality staff, unless we're talking about, okay, we're extending your year, but we're going to pad your pockets with some serious cash. Maybe that argument could sway some, but yeah. Uh, I know that the series has an ambition to do this non-championship thing, to start the season a little bit earlier. Who knows what? We'll see what happens there. Um, I do know for sure I have not heard a single team or any mechanic say, man, (laughs) sure wish we could do this longer. It's more a case of, boy, I'm looking forward to having a little bit of time to be human. So from a fan's perspective, I can totally get that kicking off the series in mid-March and ending late September looks and feels like it's not that long. Totally get that. Just from the inside, it is definitely a grind. And that's not from folks who are weak or soft. This is from some real battle-hardened badasses. So. That's that, Ian. Uh, Where else should we go? Just scrolling here. I have not cut and pasted all these into a document to make things flow. And that might just be the standard format, to be honest, if I keep doing this extra or the separate Q&A show. Ed Jorah says, Marshall, do you know anything about who has used how many engines and how that enters into the manufacturer's championship? Two odd things recently happened. Chevy won at Pocono, yet Honda extended its lead, and Honda won Gateway, yet Chevy closed the gap. Obviously, Sato and Power are ineligible to score points for their manufacturers. Do you know who else is eligible? Time to be super transparent. I do not, Ed. I celebrate whichever manufacturer wins at the end of the year. I usually write a story about it and speak to people involved with the manufacturer, and we praise them. On high, I stopped giving a crap about this a little while ago in IndyCar because with the rules changing to what they are and the somewhat weird who can score points, who can't based on how many engines they've used and if they've used too many, and it's it's not hard to follow the matrix of who can and can't score and how points are tallied it just became a little bit too hard for me to want to really stay on top of. So yeah, I apologize. And I believe there was another question somewhere about new garden having to change his motor at gateway. And how did that impact things from a manufacturer's championship standpoint or the team or why isn't the team penalized? And yeah, they changed that routine a while ago. So instead of the F one style grid penalties, uh, the manufacturers just take it in the shorts a little bit for uh, any failures or issues that they have. So that ends up hurting the manufacturers in the championship battle uh, no longer hurts the team, which I'm a, I'm a fan of. I mean, unless you have somebody just acting like an idiot and blowing up the good old motor. Um, yeah, I think the vast majority of times when we have engine issues that necessitate premature changes, um, yeah. Why ding the team for something that was really not of their doing? Uh, let's go to Mike Jablo. 
Hey, Mike. He says, recently, two Indy Lights drivers tested Indy cars. Who funds these tests? Interesting question here, Mike. Uh, the tests can happen in a variety of ways, so there's not a single answer. Would say in the case of Renus VK, knowing that he has a very supportive sponsor in Jumbo, the big Dutch supermarket chain, I would be very surprised if his sponsor did not cover the entire test. Oliver Askew, who is in the Ganassi car, I know that while he has some sponsors, uh, would also say that the team probably assisted in some way, shape, or form there. So just a guess, but all depends, man. All, all depends. Uh, Let's see. Let's go to another rant by the man himself who coined the name of the sponsor for it, Ryan Terpstra. He says, I have a rant brought to you by Miller's outdated LED Depot mold, which is probably what this topic has growing on it. I don't understand why IndyCar can't return to the original LED panels that seem to work without any issues. I know the panels that started a malfunction last year had extra functionality. While all of that would be nice if it was working, just return to what works instead of returning to nothing. IMSA, WC, Supercars, and more have figured out how to make this work. Why can't IndyCar? He then goes on to say, for all the fans who don't care and don't see the point, I'll walk you through how the scoring displays work at Indianapolis. The displays do not update in real time, and they freeze the field and data in place when it starts back with the leader. On the road course, that means that cars that hadn't crossed the finish line on whatever lap they're on show a lap down instead of showing 15 seconds behind the leader. It also means on the oval that by the time the crawl reaches 33rd place, the data is two or three laps old. If you can't see the scoring pylon, it is very difficult to follow anything beyond the small piece of track immediately in front of you at Indy. He says, I'll end my rant with a question. What scanner do you or any of your listeners recommend? I'll end up going to anywhere from three to seven races next year with no panels to help. Please feel free to like my question or reply to it to let me know. Yes, I went there after we talked about irregularity on uh, my other weekly show. I have no shame. Um, As for scanner, I don't know if I use a scanner so much anymore. Um, Yeah, just haven't used one for a little while, and I'm not exactly sure why. Uh, Let's see. I think the issue here, Ryan, is the size of what the old original 2015 Spa 05 panels happen to, I guess, fill. So if we think about the manufacturer arrow kit era there, the roll hoop fairing, a bigger thing. With the UAK 18, a much smaller thing. Uh, So, yeah. Um, we definitely have a difference where we no longer have the overhead air intake and basically bodywork that connects and fits in that manner. I believe that's the answer why we can't. Uh, maybe someone can tell me differently, but I do believe that the older panels just would not actually fit onto the current roll hoop fairings um, that have come with UAK 18. So there you go. Let's go to Zachary Burcham. It says, MP, thoughts on Santino's recovery on the last lap? Nobody in the booth seemed upset, but Joseph seemed to be very perturbed about it. So this 
surprised me a little bit. Uh, Zach or Zachary, I apologize. I saw, at least from the footage, I saw Santino run wide. I think we all saw him run wide and hide high in turn one slash two and suffered. What I did not see was him then do the same exact thing that Joseph said took place in turn three and then having him drive right back down onto the line in turn four. So I'm not doubting Joseph. I'm just saying I didn't see it, and it seemed weird because, yeah, um, would have been pretty crazy if the guy actually went high and got into the marbles at both ends of the track on the last lap. Um. the really quick thought here and it's it's the easy one to make it's a shitty one i'll be really honest so i'll share it because it's what occurred to me i don't think i'm right i just am sharing what i thought my immediate thought was knowing the really bold and unnecessary move that he threw down joseph threw down on ryan hunter ray the keyhole at mid ohio the contact, the spin, the the dropping way the heck back, having a really poor finish. I mean, my immediate thought was, man, this championship sure seems to be in your hands. We did see for sure that Santino got up high, was trying some really adventurous, youthful things, <laughs> and almost crashed a couple times. Joseph was in and around some of that before the last lap. He got by Joseph. Joseph then got by when he made a mistake. Santino then raced him down, went to get around, got around, went high. I would just say that if I'm thinking big, big, big picture, knowing that Rossi is back in 12th, 13th, wherever he was at the time due to the strategery that took place, I'm just trying to think big picture and saying, hey, Joseph, you probably could get this kid, but... He's really going wild the last couple of races. We're seeing it. This isn't post-race. This isn't 2020 vision and whatnot. The, looking back, this is just saying as it was happening, Santino looked like he was throwing all caution to the wind. And so if I'm Joseph with a bigger picture in mind, it occurred to me at the time like, hey, just just give yourself some room. <laughs> definitely i know it's not as if you've got a huge huge gap behind you where you can just coast but this kid's looking like he's wanting to crash because he's doing things that are a little bit silly you've got the big prize in mind it's okay if we roll home in fifth it's okay truly whether you're fourth or fifth knowing where rossi is um i realize that simon pagino is doing well in the championship too and but i'm just saying Big picture, man, you getting tangled up in this kid's crash because he seems like he's wanting to crash. Let's not be that guy. That was my initial thought. And so while I understood Joseph's frustration and anger, fully justified, there was a part of me that was thinking like, at least if I'm on the radio with him, my advice is we're going to finish fifth today unless he chucks it in the wall. Give yourself some room so that if he does chuck it in the wall, you are not in that debris field. And so that was my primary takeaway. Looking back a little bit of more retrospect, Joseph is a racer. 
he's going to try and go forward, especially if he thinks that he can and get a fourth instead of a fifth. And so you can't fault him. I can't fault him. So my initial thought, I think there might be something to it. That's the advice I would have given him over the radio, but I can't fault his decision to try and be in or around Santino. I also did not totally dislike Santino's responses of, Hey, I'm trying to win stuff too. Um, last corner, last lap. It was a little cheeky. I get that, but that's who the kid is. Um, yeah. So am I Joseph trying to get close enough to where when the kid almost crashes again and then pulls down on the racing line, I'm having to take avoiding action onto the, you know, the inside of the track and getting crazy sideways and spinning again. Um, reputationally drivers get a feel for one another. And I spoke with uh, another driver today who (laughs) was saying like, wow, a lot of people are really applauding Santino's quote, cool head, but also his bravery on the ovals. And whenever there's a crash, he hits the gas to go through days of thunder style. And he just said, you know, that stuff's really cool to watch until it doesn't work out and he's going to learn. And it's going to be the hard way, truly the hard way. And so for those folks who are getting caught up in it, wow, look, he's dashing and flashing and cutting and wow, look at this. Yeah. Um, the lessons coming. If that continues to be the way that was the takeaway from that conversation. So I totally see Joseph's point would just say that reputationally, even though Santino has been really fun to watch on ovals, I would say that Joseph now knows, placed in a similar situation, he's probably going to give him a little bit more room. Uh, Until trust is built back up, definitely. All right, let's get rocking and rolling on the last couple of questions here. Go to Mitch Mortensen, says, tried asking this two weeks ago, so I'll ask it again. Would it ever be a possibility for IndyCar to have one full season, fully paid ride by the series to be taken by the reigning Indy Lights champ? Although it'd be expensive, there'd be a lot up in the air about where the drive would land. I think a scholarship type thing would be a way for these talented drivers to show off their skills in IndyCar with a guaranteed seat, prevent situations as well, like what happened to Pato Ward at Harding Steinbrenner. Also said, no LED panels. And hope everything's going well for you and your wife. Thanks, Mitch. Well, there is one. It's not a full season. It is four races. Uh, three races plus Indy 500. It's uh, about a million dollars that gets paid out to the winner of the Indy Lights Championship. There were things not too far from this in the past. There was a $2 million prize back in the day in Champ Car for the Atlantic Championship winner to move up. Um, we had back in the day Colton Herta's dad for winning the 93 Indy Lights Championship received a free Lola chassis to take to a team. And that, I think, was valued at, I think, $400,000. And I forget what all else, but that was a, it was a good thing and a helpful thing for sure. Um, I mean, where things get a little bit tricky here though, Mitch is to do things properly. We're talking 6 million for the year. And so 
where things could be super valuable if such things were to be made available is assistance from the key players in the series. So what does that mean? Well, if it costs, say, five to six million a year to have a very competitive seat, because who would want a young driver to go into a, a say, a uncompetitive team that that's just going to tank a career so you'd want the kid to have a shot knowing they're the champ well indycar forking out five six million a year that's a lot of money for a series to give to anyone (laughs) period where that becomes a little bit more reasonable possibly if there were to be help and assistance tire lease for the year from Firestone, just saying round numbers, call it a million dollars. It's a million bucks. That's factored into that annual budget. Your engine lease from Chevy or Honda, that would be a little over a million dollars as well. So there's $2 million right away in lease costs. Could Chevy and Honda and Firestone agree that it's certainly worth trying to help that next generation star get in. I don't know if it's a baton-like thing where one year it's Honda, next year it's Chevy, something. Could that be a contribution? It certainly could. If we think about IndyCar and the fact that they commit one, again, approximately $1 million to each full-time entry in prize money, the, the leader circle system guaranteed money, well, that's money coming from the series. I get that, but there's... Three million, if we were to attach that, IndyCar has been a pretty darn big contributor to that one million dollars for the Indy Lights champion as well. If we were to just say, "All right, IndyCar, so you're going to attach a leader circle plus you're still going to do that million dollars for the champ," well, we're up to four spread across three entities with IndyCar taking a pretty big swing. There's four million. We're pretty darn close. From there, I mean, I guess if we're talking other big names, you might say, well, what about Delara? Eh, Delara makes <laughs> Delara makes the products that are used. Um, I would not expect the supplier of footballs to be the one paying for a kid to be on an NFL team. That would be a little weird. I wouldn't expect Delara to come out of pocket with anything. Nonetheless, if we're at $4 million, I I have to believe that some sort of sponsorship package, could it be the NTT graduation package of pick the number, a million bucks? Could there be another youth or tech-oriented sponsor within the series that might pony up as well? Got to believe if we are talking about a true nation-building mindset here, the old village raising a kid into IndyCar mindset. If it's more than IndyCar, because right now it's only IndyCar and Anderson Promotions that runs the uh, the Road to Indy series. I'm just trying to talk about on high, those who in the series that we're trying to get these kids into, who up there could play a big role or bigger role. IndyCar is already doing that. Could they attach a leader circle? Sure. Guaranteed million dollars for that as well, going with the kid. There's two million bucks. Get the engine manufacturers 
involved, that would certainly be a pretty big thing. Getting Firestone involved, that would be a pretty big thing. From that point, I don't think you're too far away. Uh, I think the ability to bring in, if if the number you have to find to complete that budget is $1 to $2 million, I believe that could be done. So I like the mindset, Mitch. I don't think there's any way it happens with a single entity being on the hook for all of it. But I do believe that if there was a, a coalition of the willing, that we could indeed have something very special happening here. Uh, let's see. Simon Roth, you got two questions here. He said, I seem to remember reading that IndyCar could get an instant power boost if they switched from ethanol to methanol. Any truth to that? And could it happen? Yes and yes. Uh, that has been discussed for a good old while, that yes, methanol contains more kaboom. Uh, it definitely is a uh, more volatile thing, but it does not have the eco-friendliness to it. In terms of reputation, nobody really knows what methanol is if we're talking just average consumer. But ethanol, that's something people see every day written on something when they're fueling up at a gas station. So, yeah, it's a it's a marketing thing right now. But, yes, absolutely, uh, methanol would certainly be an easy way to get more power. Um, Sean Yoder, Marshall, when I eventually win the lottery, I want the two of us to start hashtag me personally motorsports. Oh, that's the best. That's the best, Sam. And field a full two-car IndyCar team. I figure we'd ob- we'd be obligated to bring in your French fry, Sebastian Bourdais, and I'd like him to have a young talent to mentor who has not yet entered the series, i.e. someone from the road to Indy. So here's the question. I'd like you to pick the following for the second car, driver, race engineer, and strategist. I think this is a great plan, and the only thing holding us back is that I don't actually play the lottery. Yeah, me too. That's, uh, yeah. But, you know, if we go back to our our other listener, who apparently has a 10-year, $250 million contract, we, you know, we might be able to merge Joe Izzo, you know, Izzo Motorsports, and hashtag me personally Motorsports. That's That's a pretty good team. All right, so if we're talking to someone that we're going to throw into the IndyCar series, into our hashtag me personally team from the road to Indy. All right. So from a driver standpoint, I think the easy pick would be Oliver Askew. And I think anyone would be silly not to pick him first. Good thing is you all know I'm silly. So Oliver is going to get picked. There's no question. I would also say that his main rival, the man himself, Renus VK, uh, who's going to be runner-up in the championship unless something truly bizarre happens. Also expect him to be in the series. I would go with Renus because I think he just does not have the name brand recognition as an Oliver. And therefore, I love sleepers. I love the, the kind of hidden, the unexpected gem. And that, to me, I think Renus in a good team, assuming our team would be good, I think that kid's going to surprise some people. I think Oliver climbing into a competitive car next year and doing well, which he will, will have everyone say, yeah, that's what we expect. Renus, I think, is going to be the one just because maybe it's because he's Dutch. Maybe, I don't know. I think that there are going to be a lot of IndyCar teams, provided he's in a good seat. And in our virtual team here, he would be my pick. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. Really, really do. Uh, 
Um, so yeah, that's the choice there for race engineer. I'm going to go with my mentor, Michael Cannon, who is all kinds of awesome. And as we discussed, I think as recently as last week, maybe the week before he has a certain knack for working with young drivers. So that's an easy pairing strategist. I mean, there's only one choice, right? That's gotta be Rodney Sandstorm. Um, it's gotta be Mike Hull. I mean, he, he's the MVP of the week in IndyCar more appearances than anybody. I mean, come on. So I would, yeah, I think pretty easy there. We're going to go with arenas. We're going to have a, a, a kid that speaks Hollish. We're going to have a Canadian race engineer and we're going to have a Southern Californian strategist. What could go wrong, Sam? Uh, Simon, your other question. I love this. Um, so this is part of the whole Pruitt truth and honesty thing. I'm just going to say the things that come to mind. Um, and we're also truly winding down here for Ryan Terpstra, who I know is keeping count. What is your opinion of Dean Stoneman before his cancer issues? He seemed to have a great career ahead of him over the last few years. He seems to have bounced from one thing to another being quote, let go by more than one team. I seem to remember you commenting on him in the past. Dean is wickedly talented, Simon. If you had the ability for, if you could hit the mute button on Dean Stoneman, I think he would still be racing in America. I think he might be an IndyCar. I think he might be impressing us in IndyCar. A little bit of a wild man. Uh, he's his confidence and bravado is at a level that I've only seen a couple of times in the sport. I can't tell you whether that is real, true, or if that is hyper compensation for a void. Because that's usually what you get. You either get the person who believes they are the second coming of Jesus and they are God's gift and they are the best and most amazing. And you just see that permeates everything about who they are. Then you get folks who say those things and act those ways and are really brash and bold and all kinds of things. But you kind of wonder, is this, is this an act? Is this filling in for some sort of massive lack of self-confidence or something in that range? I don't have the answer, Simon. I can just tell you that with Dean, the amount of irrational confidence that he had didn't seem to be a suit that fit super well. It was there and visible, but it just didn't come across as natural to me all the time. So that's why I wonder playing uh, armchair psychologist, if that crazy over the top personality that he could bring and i don't mean ha ha he he for personality but like whoa yeah this is a little uncomfortable i wonder if that was trying to cover up something compared to just being his natural self um i think talent wise the guy had the ability to be shockingly good unfortunately he has a mouth and an ego or whatever that thing is again where whatever it stems from can't tell you um that guy talked himself out of a career and he might 
continue to find things and bounce around from place to place. Um, I thought a lot of him and I love kids with all kinds of balls and bravery and F you, I'm going to conquer the world. I love that stuff. Uh, I mean, it's just, I'm down. Like if you can back it up in the guy seemingly could, I, I love it. I mean, there are way too many drivers who just talk about, you know, Hey, what'd you do? I went to the gym. Oh yeah. No, I was training all day. And you know, you get some sort of, you know, leading the Instagram life is their life. And that to me is the most sad and boring thing in the world. I get someone like Dean, who's like fricking fireworks and you go, wow. All right. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Um, but you can't be a complete asshole, Simon. That's the problem here. Um, and so you have people probably like me who go like, whoa, cool. I'm down. Let's sure let's go. And then, you know, th- there's a sharp edge to that as well. And I think what Dean struggled from, and I'll share just own interactions. I had to, for myself last year, I don't know the exact phrase. It was by text. I believe I don't might've been email, but I think text, but I don't know if cursing was involved, but the underlying tone was fuck off. Don't contact me. Just go screw yourself. And it was just him being him just way over the top, super controlling thinking that the world is his and he can pull strings, talk to people any old way that he wanted. Um, and just being belligerent and his main PR rep, um, reached out afterwards and said, Oh, well, you know how he can be. I said, I know, I know how he can be. That's why I'm no longer going to be involved or engaging with it. And, uh, he seemed to understand and agree that yes, this young man maybe has a little bit too much self-destruction inside of him to go forward. So, uh, yeah, if those things had happened in person, Simon, um, again, just share it. If, Dean had flashed and and pulled that crap in person. It probably would have gotten physical. And so I'm glad that it didn't. I'm glad that it was by text because just as men or women, you know, we all have our points where you go, okay, you can push and you can push, but there's a point where I'm going to push back. And this is a guy who only thinks about himself, only cares about himself. And, I think we're seeing that in the amount of opportunities that have fallen through. Uh, interesting to note that, say, the Stellrex, who were his main sponsor in Indie Lights, they continue to do really good things and continue to sponsor people. So uh, it's great to know that even though someone with vast potential, but a mouth and attitude and just general something inside that I think might be kind of broken that manifested itself behaviorally um, spit all that stuff aside and doesn't have much. I feel bad, not for him, but for us, for the potential of what we could have seen. So who knows the guy's been through hell. We're talking cancer and recovered. Maybe this is a guy that we see emerge in a year or six months or three years, come back and say, Hey, you know, I was a complete asshole. I have learned a lot. I think I can be who I was before talent wise, but maybe without making everyone want to run away from me again, that would be an awesome 
awesome story arc for me, Simon. Uh, all right. I'm going to take two more and then we are going to say good bye. Let's go with Lee Luke McVeigh. Hi, Marshall. Loving the podcast. Thank you. Has really helped in my transition from formula one still watch, but IndyCar is amazing old schoolish racing in comparison. So hi from Ireland. Lovely, lovely to hear from you, Luke. Never been to Ireland, been to the good old England a couple of times, but still need to venture west and north as well and visit me some Scotland. He says, my question is, do you think McLaren may begin to feed its drivers, the ones that it takes on in, say, Formula 3 and Formula 2 into IndyCar as it adds IndyCar to its young driver program ladder? He says, Nick DeVries, who should win F2 this year, wouldn't turn down an IndyCar drive if Zach offered, given limited opportunities in F1. He says he left the McLaren program, but could string a deal. But could he string a deal together again? He says uh, Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz are confirmed uh, for 2020. What's your take? Ferrucci and Hinchcliffe or my gut for next year, to be honest. We have another question here. I'll roll into this as well. Um, who did this come in from Fernando Diaz? Hey, Fernando asking about, all right, putting me, uh, putting me on the spot, which two drivers do I think would be, um, driving for McLaren slash SP slash arrow slash, what do we call them? We call them spam. Um, boy, I really love to be the guy that says the thing that's accurate. I will mention here, just because it's something I have mentioned it in recent episodes, it's still true, so I'm going to stick to it uh, in particular here, Luke. I think that Hinch could end up staying because it ends up being the best opportunity for him. There's so many people trying to vie for the very few remaining open seats or a third seat that might open up. As you mentioned in formula one, there's nothing that jumps out. That's perfect for Nick. And that kid is wickedly talented. So yeah, coming over and doing IndyCar would be great. I'd love to have him. I don't think we'd have him for super long, but nonetheless of the things to continue monitoring, it's will Honda Honda Performance Development specifically say, hey, James Hinchcliffe, we really, truly want to keep you in our family and will throw additional assistance your way or to a team to keep you in the Honda fold, knowing that spam is no longer an option with them moving to Chevy. It looked like that was unlikely. I've heard heard not saying it's a fact but heard there might be a little bit of movement here there might be a little bit of a yeah you know more folks are coming to a conclusion that having hinch on board is is a better thing than not a better thing so maybe that could happen luke i still there's a there's a concern for me though that if you work from the outline that zach brown and the uh, the rest of the leadership there have said about what they want for next year, that youngish driver to learn and the veteran. If Hinch isn't that veteran, I, again, I'm having to work off what they said, just like the rest of us are. 
I mean, I know that they've spoken with a lot of people. I haven't mentioned it. There's a lot of people, not just drivers, who have received phone calls saying, hi, are you available to come work for us? It's good. It's really good. But if I run down the list here and say, who fits this mold that's available, that's where we have issues. So when you mention a Nick DeVries, I love that idea. I really do. I think Nick could be a beast. And as Fernando asked as well, all right, I'm going to hold you to it. I feel, I hate saying this because I like to think I'm on the cutting edge of all that's happening and knowledge. I'm not, but I really don't have a great feel for this yet. Um, no one's leaving Penske to go there. No one's leaving Andretti Autosport to go there because all the people they would want are under contract. Same thing at Ganassi. Uh, same thing at Ray Hall. I mean, where do you start digging from there? Where do you grab people? Colton Herta staying in the Andretti family, going to be the fifth car there. Um, Hinch is looking like he needs to be treated as an asset by the team. And so we'll see what happens. There's a definite need there. We spoke about not too long ago, might have been last week or the week before, I don't remember, Pato Awards really jumping out like that young talent to try and grab. Not knowing his situation, whether he would continue with Red Bull after this season. If I'm Zach Brown, you know the lineup I'm going for right now, even if Honda does come in and really try and move Hinch to another team, I am saying, all right, Hinch, you got one more year left on your contract. I realize you're going to have to break contracts if you were to stay with us to complete that. Let's look at a new number. Let's look at whatever monies you might lose by staying and cover that. If not, double it. Let's make sure money is not a determining factor here. Let's make sure you are just truly happy and taken care of. And let's end any searches or looks elsewhere Let's keep you here because truly continuity-wise and building block-wise, let's go kick some ass in 2020. I think if I'm McLaren, I need to look at James as a true asset. And the money he would be losing by staying potentially, take care of him. Absolutely take care of him. And potentially, I mean, it's not as if he's old. Not by any stretch. He's 32. He'll be 33 at the end of the year. Still. Um, take care of him. Maybe not only take care of the money he'd be losing and add some to it on top of the salary he's already set to earn, but maybe look at a, another option or extension after that that takes both sides to agree to. At least provide some longer-term stability if there might be a desire for Hinch to stay there. So incentivize things. I understand McLaren financially has the ability to do all that. Um, money is not an issue period. So that's the thought there on the veteran. I think that really does help them in so many ways. And then also Pato, honestly, um, what do you need for us to have Pato award? Um, hi rock as Rocky is asking the same question as well. Um, I mean, Connor Daly, I know he's been suggested. I wouldn't disagree that I think Connor would be great. I just don't know if he has the same thing I've mentioned, Luke, on a couple of past episodes. McLaren likes things that are flashy and sexy. That's just part of them. Connor doesn't fit that bill. 
I think Pato has that new driver shine, has some sort of little mystery. Boy, he's good. Could he be even better? Who knows? Yeah, so fitting that mold, that's a little bit tough. So Fernando uh, and also Luke, I would say, while I don't know if my two choices are accurate, I could be 100% wrong. Um, The thing I would be suggesting is Pato Award James Hinchcliffe for 2020. Pato, I'm signing up for a three- to five-year contract if I can get him. Hinch, I'm at least making sure he's well taken care of for next season. And then let's create some options for us to continue if we are happy afterwards. Rock, buddy, you just going to meow the whole time? Yeah? You know it's the end of the show? You know it's my last question, buddy. Now's the time? All right, buddy. I love you, too. All right. Um... I'm just going to scroll here and find one. Buddy, come on, dude. You, you were lighting me up earlier this week or over the weekend. And you're going to jump up too. So what he did last week, by the way, was he, he loves jumping up on the desk in my office while I'm trying to record. And because I can't give him the attention that he wants, he walks around and eventually just puts his ass as close to my face as possible. It's a, it's a nice move, Rock. Thanks, pal. Um, all right. Yes. Yet again, falling off the rails. Where are we going to go to finish the show? Um, you know, the, well, all right. So one observation, and I'm just going to read it because it's really nice of you to send this in, Brad Osborne. I would not expect anyone to send this stuff in. So I can't imagine that any other IndyCar professional reporter or information conveyor has captured the holistic pulse of the sport and series as you do. Thank you. So the Q&A from last week's show is something that all stakeholders of the sport need to listen to. Um, I mean, that's really nice. Honestly, Brad, I was really concerned about posting it because it was very long. And I don't know, man, um, I am trying to do as much letting my inside voice out and I'm never sure if that's the right call or even more if it's the good call in terms of quality, because rather than this being as polished as I try to be in my professional life and have everything buttoned up, et cetera, et cetera, this is just becoming at least in week two of doing this. A little more stream of consciousness so i don't listen back to it i just post it and so hopefully this doesn't suck so it's kind of you to say that brad i just it surprises me to get that response from you so thank you um we're going to close here brett ross by the way i love your question of if i were to make a basketball team who would i choose to pick for my starting five send that in again next week please because i will I'll get to it there um Michelle and Jason Stewart, though, you get the final question. It's more of a, not even a rant. We have not busted out mold. Miller's old LED Depot sponsor here. This one's yours. We're just saying farewell. Thanks to you all. And the final item that came in. MP, although I enjoyed the Sato Pocono detailed debate last week, it only took Rodney Sandstorm just over a minute to figure out the true cause of the crash. Just an observation. It's a great point. It's Marcus Erickson, as Rodney clearly determined through massive video 
articulation and explanation. I am embarrassed. I will admit I am grandly embarrassed, Michelle and Jason Stewart, that after spending approximately an hour trying to weigh in on almost every angle, sure I missed a couple, but almost every, indeed, young Mr. Sandstorm probably didn't have to deal with cats putting their asses in his face, so maybe that was to his benefit. I'm looking for excuses here. Um, Maybe, maybe future... MP Q&As for the week in IndyCar. One minute in length. And the answer to everything? Marcus Erickson. All right. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. Brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com. We're going to see this weekend in Portland for our live podcast. And also Bell Racing Helmets USA. Rocky has now jumped up on the back of the chair and is licking my hair. Why? I don't know. I don't understand cats. We have two. I don't know. It's been a bizarre. Buddy, you're acting out for real. Really. You're getting strange on me. Um, That's it. I'm done. That's all I got. It probably wasn't very good. I don't think I'm getting another note here from Brad that this episode was worth listening to, but hopefully it entertained. Hopefully the amount of sucking was not as much as it feels like, but if the volume of questions continues to be like this, I'm just going to make the time to do it. So it's 11, just turned 11, 17 PM on a Tuesday night. I'm going to say farewell and go have dinner and start this whole thing over in the morning and get all this nonsense posted. Thank you for listening. <laughs>